So we're going to go ahead and I think Notori, I'll come back. I'll come and pick you up because I, I know you were at the front and then you dropped off. So this is uh, episode 140, RFK, Marianne and more. Oh my God, so much <laughs> to talk about because I know we didn't do call in earlier this week like we've done um, before. So there's so much to chat about. So let me go ahead and bring in uh, Natori. You are first on the mic. You just have to hit the unmute button and you'll be ready to go. Uh, uh -oh. Master again. And by the way, you did play the part with Pampered. Was, okay, I did. Okay. Like, what the actual <laughs> fuck? I couldn't remember if I, I did because I was, he Ugh. said so much craziness. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This guy it's is that gish gallop. You just do one thing after another. Yeah. Like apparently, um, what do you call it? Apparently like having 90% of your water dirty and, and shit like that. You're pampered. Like this guy is just disgusting. Like I said, that interview is so revealing. And you know, that interview is going to get a lot of views. Okay. Natori, you just got to unmute. Hey, what's up, Natori? Doing great. Uh, my head is about to fucking explode. I was tweeting the whole time you was on Robert bitch ass. Ugh, I was just disgusted the whole fucking interview. I don't fuck with Crystal like that, but she did the damn thing, had his balls in her hand. He didn't want her to speak, but I'm glad she cut through. And I see why he don't want to talk to Max because Max know a lot of shit about what's going on over there. I'm just disgusted. Him and Mariana. Also, I also think that I would not be surprised if he had already been told by his, his campaign team and also other members of APAC and Rabbi Shmuley. I wouldn't be surprised if they told him not to talk to anti-Zionist Jews. I would not be surprised because Max is really good on this topic. And we were just at his talk at the Community Church of Boston last night. And all I can tell you is like Max would have definitely dragged him through the mud. And that's why he doesn't want to have. And it's not even just him. Like if, if it's if it, the Max thing is an issue, he can have this conversation with Katie Halper. He can have this conversation with Aaron Mate. He can have it with Norm Finkelstein. He can have it with other people. He just he's purposely not having this conversation with anti-Zionist Jews, especially those that have been to Gaza and they know their shit. Someone's going to have to remind me because I can't remember. But Kim Iverson is also good on this issue because she's also been there. And um, I know he was on Kim Iverson's show prior to his campaign. And then he came on again to announce his campaign or after he announced he was running, he came on there again. But you'll have to you guys are going to have to let me know. I don't think I've seen him back on Kim Iverson. Uh, to talk about this issue in particular. Actually, I don't think he's been back on there since his terrible views of Israel came out. No, I haven't seen him back up there either. And I think he went back on, I don't think he's going to go back on breaking points after that interview, but I feel like he went back up there because he felt like she was going to be um, nice to him again. 
But see, the reason why he's going on breaking points is because that is primarily a conservative audience. And you can tell by the comments in the chat. So like a lot of the people that were part of the rising audience, when Crystal and Sager moved over to breaking points, they moved over there with them. Now, some of them still watch rising as well, but rising also has a conservative audience. So that's why he's going on because he he's been doing well with conservatives and independents and libertarians because see, so that's the thing. Most of a lot of the lefties not seeing lefties don't watch breaking points, but a lot of them are more likely to watch people like, you know, maybe secular talk or um, humanist report, you know, like the old TYT, like standard crowd or whatever, like they're more likely to watch other lefty shows not necessarily to watch the shows that have more of a conservative lean. Now, yes, Crystal is supposed to represent the uh, populist left. But again, if you guys look at the comments on Breaking Point's channel, you can tell they have a conservative audience. Mm -hmm. Crystal's still trash to me, but I just like how she um, ran down on a bitch twice. On, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, she did a good job. She did a good job like pushing back on him. Um, but again, like I would have used different language, like I would have called it for what it is. I would have said the state of Israel is an oppressor and the Palestinian people are being oppressed. And the reason why I say you got to use those terms, particularly if you're talking to someone like RFK Jr. is because of this. RFK Jr. says he stands for civil rights justice and that his family stood for that in reference to the African-American community and stuff like that. So obviously that means you're against oppression. So if you're against oppression, that means you're against oppression of all peoples, all marginalized groups, not just the ones that live in the United States. And that's how you put his ass on blast. And that's why I was trying to tell other people this whole concept that he has uh, in reference to I have this reparations plan, which I told you guys is not an actual reparations plan. It's a couple of tax credits. And he believes you can give black people loans and that'll fix everything. He not really trying to give cash reparations. He said it on the freaking podcast that he's against cash reparations. So he's not really trying to undo any of uh, the economic injustice that uh, African-American descendants of slavery have had to go through in this country. All he's trying to do is give you a couple of, uh, I guess you want to call it a couple of Band-Aids uh, on the wound and then want you to be happy. But again, as I said before, Japanese Americans receive cash reparations. So this, these are the things with him you Mm -hmm. That's why I wish, like, I wish you would come on a show like yours or Max because he did, but he don't want to because he know y'all going to hand it to him. Like, it ain't no way he going to be able to backpedal and pussy pop like he do on other shows. Oh, he, he won't. He'll he'll make the excuse that, like, he's being attacked and stuff like that. But the thing that I want to mention you feel was attacked today because based on what I saw uh, during that segment he was the one I felt like he was the one doing the attack and he was the one that was being aggressive I felt like he was the one that actually um, was really rude and kept like interrupting people but see when that's done to him he'll say that he was attacked mm -hmm. and that's another about him that would never use that on him they will never use those kind of words on him. 
No. No. No, they wouldn't. This is this is what I'm I'm I've been trying to tell people is like I really do, you know, I don't know if people want to call it conspiracy or whatever, but I really do feel like he's a plant. Mm-hmm. It's one last thing. Oh, go ahead. It's one last thing I want to say. It's gonna be quick and I'm gonna get off. But it's like this um Diddy, like the Diddy, the um Bill Ackman. Um, and then it's come to find out that Bill, I mean, Diddy is in London with the person that's connected to Congress and, um, the London is so much stuff. It's like they all connected. And then when I see this shit that they talking about the stuff that they do behind, like the billionaires and all that, and you talked a little bit about it. It's just, it's coming all around how they try to make people look crazy. Even Monique, um, who with Roseanne Ball. They try to make them look crazy when they speak out, but it's like it's all coming ahead. And I feel like it's something big coming in um the hip hop community and it's rumors that um people start coming out about Jay Z and it's just it's just weird how the government, Hollywood and billionaires is all working together. It's crazy to me. Well, it's like I said, I, I said one time before, which is that billionaires are not you. You can't like, listen, you can't say you for like the working class people and you're a billionaire because you didn't get there by ethical means. You got there by exploiting the working class. I said the same thing about Rihanna. You know, when she became a billionaire, then it was released. It was announced. People were like, no, don't go after Riri. Then it was announced later on that she was using child labor. So that's the that's the thing. That's what I'm saying. Somebody is exploited somewhere. It may not necessarily be someone in the United States. It could be in another country, but they doing some damn exploiting. Eric, I think you were going to say something. I saw you on mute for a second. I mean, the other thing I'd say generally is that it doesn't even have to be a, a conspiracy theory or, or in the background or, or secretive. I mean, they're doing all this stuff right in the open. I mean, everybody knows that the Congress is bought off and serving, you know, the billionaires, the huge corporations, the military industrial complex, the usual suspects. And they got their lobbyists, you know, running all around the building. And, you know, the lobbyists are registered. I mean, they, they've legalized the bribery. You know, I think the big thing that has to change is just people have to demand you know, that, that the corruption stop. Yeah. I hear you there. We lost Notori. She moved. Uh, she moved on. She said her bit. <laughs> All righty. Let's bring in. I think this is uh, Karthik, and then I'll go to Noel. What's going on, Karthik? You just have to hit the unmute button. Yo, Sabby. What's up? It's good. I haven't talked to you in a while. Uh, so you thought that uh, you think that uh, RFK might be a plant? Yeah, I really do. I think, again, I think that he's there to present the illusion of another choice. But the problem with RFK Jr. is he's just as corporate as the politicians that you have in office right now. Oh, he's yeah. Taking, yeah, he's taking yeah. corporate money. Yeah, yeah, billionaire money, yeah. Yeah, billionaire money, and he has a super PAC. For like, sure. this this guy, this this guy is no different. Um and I think that's that's the thing that I really want to get people 
to understand. But again, when somebody says, hey, I'm running against the corruption and I'm running for people to have body autonomy and da-da-da, all that kind of stuff, we're not going to have any type of mandates. And he may be good on like the COVID issue, but then you start to look underneath the surface. Yeah, you look underneath the surface and you're like, okay, where's the money coming from though? And you see, he just like all the rest of them. Now, RFK Jr. has raised all this money. So far, RFK Jr. is not on the ballot in any state. Not one state. He's raised right. millions of dollars. Uh, what was okay, that? So you think, no, I, no, I'm surprised. Like, I'm surprised not on any of the ballots yet. No, he's, he's, he's not on no ballot. The only independent candidate that's actually on the ballot right now is Cornell West. Which is interesting because I didn't think he would be the first. I I would have made a pick. I would have said RFK Jr. is going to get ballot access first. But that hasn't happened. Yeah, he has more money than RFK. Right. No, RFK Jr. has way more money, has raised way more than Cornell West. Yeah, that's RFK has more money. Yeah. So like if you guys ever want to see like how much money they've raised, all you have to do is go to the FEC website, type in their name and you'll see how much money they've raised. So the thing is, RFK Jr. raised all this money, but he don't have ballot access in any state. So Cornell West, actually, his campaign just announced they just got ballot access in Alaska. Um, I mean, it's 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 Alaska, but still, how come RFK Jr. don't have ballot access yet? Then he's put out, he put out this story a couple days ago saying they're trying to keep me off the ballots. It was one state that I saw in particular that was trying to do that, and that was Utah. That doesn't explain why you don't have ballot access in any of these other states yet. Well, that money's probably going to buy uh, Rabbi Shmuley's mansion. That's probably where it's going. Well, it's like, you think about this way. Cornell West switched, what, three times? Right? So he was... With the People's Party, then with the, or twice, maybe People's Party, then he was with the Green Party, and now he's he's an independent. How did he, how you let him get ballot access before you got ballot access? Yeah, no, well, it's definitely impressive that Cornell West got um, ballot access. Uh, but in terms of RFK, and I, I feel like he's competing to be a uh, bigger Zionist than uh, Nick, Nikki Haley and more racist than her as well. It's like he wants to be the number one uh, Zionist, and also he he wants everybody to know that he thinks that all Palestinians are terrorists, even more than uh, Nikki Haley wants. And what I've said to everybody is, look at who he's putting first. His priority for the guy who said we need to build back, you know, fix this country, and da da da, and take out corruption, and worry about the you know working class people, and da da da. Look who he puts first. He's putting Israel before the United States. That's that's those the people that he out there really fighting for. He fighting for the state of Israel. He not fighting for the U.S. Yeah, it seems like uh, all the candidates are. And um, uh, do you think that it's possible that he's compromised? Like he had Mossad has dirt on him? Because I recently read that he was with Epstein twice. I think RFK, there's a look. There are some things about RFK Jr. All you got to do is Google other than the Epstein stuff. There's video footage of RFK Jr. Basically uh, accusing a black boy. I remember this accusing a black boy of killing. I want to say this was a family member of his where they actually did not have proof of this. Martha Moxley, I think, was her name. 
RFK Jr. went on to different news programs, basically telling people, yeah, this big black kid, da da da, they came up from Connecticut, and or they came up from the city and went into Connecticut and they killed her. Keep in mind, at that point in time, the police had not confirmed any of that, any of that. And RFK Jr., once again, this was another example where he cherry-picked certain facts from the case to make it fit the narrative that he wanted to tell. So it's he doesn't just do this with the Israel-Gaza issue. He, he's done this before in the past when he wasn't even running for president. People have to understand the Kennedys are a very privileged group of people. Yeah, they're like the biggest... I'm guessing they're the biggest political family in uh, America. I I know, I think until like two, three years ago, I forgot, I think it was, I forgot the guy, I think it was Ted Kennedy the third or something. They had never lost an election in America before. Uh, Well, yeah, that's true. But also they've literally gotten away with murder. Like that's, that's how privileged this, this family is. You mentioned Ted Kennedy. People have to remember that Ted Kennedy killed a woman and didn't deny it. He eventually, like, he waited days. This woman's life could have been saved. If you look up, you watch the movie Chappaquiddick, it explains this very well. But the thing is, is, like, that woman's life could have been saved had he had contacted, called 911. And by the way, she didn't drown from, she didn't die from drowning. She died from suffocation. So that's what I'm saying. Like, her life could have been saved. Had he had called 911, he went back to the house to party with his friends, knowing she was trapped in that car and the car was going underwater, but he saved himself. He finally decided to go forward years, uh, a couple days later, went to the police, turned himself in. This is actually the first time that Ted Kennedy was going to run for president. Went to the police, turned himself in and said, I guess I'm not going to be running for president now. They didn't even again. They didn't charge him, guys, because of who he was. Now, well, I didn't know this. Thank you for informing me. He would have been charged at least with manslaughter, but there's an added element to this. The reason why the car ended up in the lake in the first damn place is because he was drinking and driving. He was literally drinking alcohol while he was driving the car, and she was in the passenger seat. And they let him get away with it. And then he went on and ran for president. That's how privileged the Kennedys are. Yeah, it's very bad. It's terrible. Um, did you hear that uh, uh, Marion Williams walked back some of her comments today? Or maybe it was last night? Wait, what? When did this happen? I think it was today, like this morning. It was like, I think it was within the last 24 hours I saw on Twitter. Because you know how I think it was like two days ago she was doing that 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 interview. I think it was like with some TikTok or with some social media person. Her name is yeah. So that's Lauren, and she's actually she was a part of the group Fifth Harmony. Okay, yeah, sorry, I, I had no idea who she was. Yeah. I talked to some social media personality. What uh, what is what does she say? I haven't seen anything of t- today, but I, I showed what she said. Um, after everybody came after her last yeah i think pre yeah i think so okay so you 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 know what she said previously then yeah we we i covered that tonight 
Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this morning, I think it was pretty early. It was, she said that, oh, I'm, she, she, she pretty much apologized and, and said that she didn't know that Gaza was being occupied on Twitter. That's what she said. So I guess it's better Karthik. than nothing. Karthik, you know, that's a damn lie, right? Oh, no, yeah, I agree. She's she just what, trying to cover she, her ass. Yeah, yeah. What does she mean she didn't know that Gaza was being occupied? Well, she said, I think in her tweet, said, oh, well, I, I thought Gaza was given freedom or whatever in 2005 or 2006. And, you know. That, that, that's a fucking lie. We had this conversation with Marianne Williamson during the RBN interview. There yeah. she is lying again. She knew that. She knew they were still occupied. Am I, am I crazy, Eric? Eric, do you remember this? You remember this conversation with Marianne Williamson when she came on to RBN and it was me and Nick that interviewed her? Do you remember this? Well, I mean, when you tell her that, you're mansplaining. So, you know, it, it didn't take. Yeah, no, definitely. She's, she knows. She's been told. She's scared of black people, too. I remember that interview. She seems scared by, like, Rome and CJ. Mm. Well... Hopefully she'll just kind of fade that, away now. <laughs> yeah, the only th the thing is, is like she only agreed to do the interview with me and Nick. No, yeah, I I I I, I get it. Yeah, I understand. Um, but yeah, so this is what she said in her tweet. She said, "I've understood that Israel's siege on Gaza is morally indefensible and has caused a lot of suffering there, but I had mistakenly assumed that uh, Israel's withdrawal of sediments." from Gaza since 2005, mean that occupation no longer applied to Israel's control of the Strip, meaning Gaza. But uh, after, you know, she says she spoke with some people from the UN and, you know, many other international groups and human rights organizations. Um, I stand corrected on Gaza being occupied. And more importantly, okay, here's the part that we're all going to love. As president, I will fight for a future free of the siege and occupation where uh, all every Israeli and every Palestinian can live in safety, dignity, and freedom, you know, got to have the freedom part. That, that, that was her statement. And this was, I think uh, this was uh, eight hours ago. Y'all, you guys know she lying, right? Yeah. Like that, that's why that interview that we had with her was such a, not other than the other stuff that happened, but that's why like she got, she was like, honey, I know this and I know that, da, da, da. We told her during that interview, how the hell you been a presidential campaign all this time? And you just be like, oh, I didn't know that people in Gaza weren't free. How the hell could you not know that, Marianne? Who hasn't spoken about that? You don't see the fucking front fence around the people? Yeah, that's something that, like, RFK would say, almost. Noel, I'd like to bring you in, Noel. And uh, Neoliberal Tears, I'm inviting you as a speaker. Good evening, everybody. Um, you know, to me, as I listen to both Marianne and um, RFK Jr., it was just more of a reminder to me that um, America is a settler colonialist project and that it recognizes Israel in that same venue. And what I felt like RFK Jr. was trying to say is that with respect to Israel and the United States, we are more alike, my friends, than we are unalike. And so I see both of these people as trying to pander to what they believe 
is the tolerance level of the American electorate with respect to the foreign policy thing. So they're really caught between a rock and a hard space because I think both of them are doing their best not to run afoul of the powerful, powerful Israel lobby. And I think if anything comes of this whole cycle that um, involves the situation in Israel, Palestine, as well as the upcoming 2024 elections, is the power, the extreme power of the Israel lobby. And so, but the reality is, is thanks to independent and social media, the narrative that these people are trying to push and promote is just already lost. It's a lost cause. And so you hear these people consistently trying to articulate a narrative, and it almost seems like they're coming out of the 1980s or 90s, and the American public is already ahead of them. So the young lady, Lauren, was able to eat Marianne and leave no crumbs, and it stunned Marianne Williamson. And so she found herself in a tailspin trying to respond, and which is why she came across as condescending and attempting to gaslight the young lady. But it was clear that the young lady understood more of the context of what's going on and that you just couldn't simply start with, oh, the, the current narrative. And so these, these candidates are being thrown off kilter. But it also says to me that with respect to foreign policy, because you know the um, military spending of authorization just passed and you know it's like 880 something billion dollars again and those authorizations sail through congress like butter on a hot griddle because it is an affirmation that both sides of the duopoly are together in terms of this foreign policy thing and i don't think anybody mistakes or thinks that we would be getting anything different in response to this if trump were in office or if he succeeds in being reelected. So the only real opportunities we have for a fundamental type of change comes from the independent left candidates. And the system is so rigged that they have little to no chance at winning. And so it causes me to think broadly, Sabrina, that, you know, we have come to understand at this point that there is no harmonious existence between capitalism and what we would like to be a representative democracy. Because over time, what we see is that, you know, unchained and unrestricted pursuit of profit and capital will always undermine democratic principles. And they will. And so when you really look at it, the um, monarchy and feudalism that the original settlers brought to this country, ideologically, we have not been able to escape that. They figured out a way to, you know, get get beyond the monarchy in terms of it being a birthright, and it just became pure ownership. But that feudal thing translated into capitalism, which again edifies the people at the top. And so four or 500 years into this American experiment, we see the same type of imperialist things happening. And, you know, so we went from 
feudalism and serfdom to outright slavery in the United States. And I just don't see where we have a way out. And I also understand that the vast disparity in terms of wealth in this country, which is beyond the Gilded Age, has given the masses more of a um, real reason to open their eyes and really see what's going on. I think being denied so many basic human services makes it easier for the common people to look up and see, well, you keep sending billions in military aid to these proxy wars and this and that, but you consistently tell us what we cannot have. And I believe that famine in terms of social services and a true caring for the working class and the poor has opened or helped to sensitize the people. And the hypocrisy of these things is just becoming so overwhelming that they cannot ignore it. And I do believe this is a symptom of the empire in collapse. In terms of the Israeli project as a project, you know, the geopolitical importance of having that foothold in what we call the Middle East is too important. And so between, you know, the importance of that as an objective to the imperialist empire, and you cross that with the power of the Israeli lobby, as we see, I just don't think it's a way out. Um, for the conventional type candidates. And I just think, it, but it's a real exposure. And I think the young people get it. They see it. And I believe some of the elders will see it too, because the one thing about oppression is people who have been oppressed have a empathy and an understanding of oppression otherwise. And so when people are seeing these images coming out of Gaza, there is just no way to smooth it over, to talk it over. And I believe with respect to Israel being a relatively young project in terms of, you know, being officially um, put together in 1948, you can't just start with, oh, Israel has a right to defend itself because people know that short history. And they know that, you know, before 1948, there was no Israel. It was officially Palestine. And it's just too much information out there. I mean, when you're on the um, social media, you see all kind of TikToks and this, that, and the third, you know, attacking various pieces of that narrative. And it's just too widespread. So I think Biden is in a quagmire. Um, when he said there was indiscriminate bombing, it is too, it resonates to the UN, um, policies on, um, crimes against humanity and these types of things. And it's just no way he can, um, deal with it. And I really think of an appropriate analogy with Israel in the United States is, you know, the Frankenstein doctor has created the Frankenstein monster and now you cannot control it. And, you know, the only way you're going to put a dent in it is to cut that funding or put serious strings to it and demand a ceasefire in this net, 
which would which would actually mean the United States would have to rein in Israel in a way that is just not mistakable. And mm -hmm. I, Biden is up to it. I don't think he wants to do it, but he's looking at a loss. But the one thing I'll say, and this will be my last point on this, the American empire has successfully reduced our options for, you know, presidents and leadership to mutually unacceptable options at every turn. The ones who are talking in a way that would produce some type of salient change, like Marianne Williamson, I mean, um, Lord have mercy, bite my tongue and chew it off. Jill <laughs> and um, Cornell West, they just, the system is constructed in a way to prevent it. You know, the media is owned and manufacturing or attempting to marry, you know, manufacture consent around the narrative. So I just don't see how this thing gets any better. Well, one thing I think is interesting, I want to bring in neoliberal tears and then we'll go to um, Ashura. I don't know if people notice because I know some of you are not on Twitter, but that interview that Marianne had with Lauren, guys, that it went so viral. And it started with neoliberal tears, actually. Like people are like, oh, Savvy posted this video. No, neoliberal tears posted a different clip from that interview. And <laughs> it was a it group effort, so Savvy. I think you were first, um, you yeah, know. It went, it went so viral <laughs> that Marianne Williamson was trending last night on Twitter. Go ahead, uh, neoliberal tears. I want to get your take on all this too. Yeah, I mean, it, it made me laugh so much, you know, when I um, when I saw your tweet, you know, just like, you know, calling it out as a straight up, like, you know, just out of the APAC playbook, you know, and I just, I mean, I couldn't believe that we are, it, it almost felt like deja vu being in this place with RFK and Marianne, right? Like we've been through this rodeo before with them. Like they're just so wrong and everyone in the world is trying to correct them, but they're just refusing to listen to anybody uh, or budge uh, because either they're plants or they're money starved or whatever the fuck. Um, also, I kind of like, I, I've been having a fever the past few hours and I'm like worried that Marianne put a curse on me or something. So if you guys can pray for me, send me good, good energies, good orbs, because, you know, Marianne is pissed. I mean, you're, you're right. Savvy, I didn't realize she was fifth harmony. She has like 12 million followers. Yeah. That's what I was trying to tell you guys. Like it's one thing for Marianne to have an interview on breaking points. But this woman has millions and millions of followers on Instagram. And that interview, if you go look at it on Instagram and go look at the comment section, the comments are so cringe because of what Marianne said about Israel and Gaza. She was like so completely off. And I'm like, listen, I hate to say it, but we told you so. People may not agree with everything that RBN says, may not really like RBN style and everything, and that's fine, it is what it is. But when it came to Marianne on this issue, we told people months ago that she was wrong on this issue, that she was tweeting out that Israel has a right to defend itself, and she deleted some of those tweets, but we tried to warn people that she didn't have this, this issue correct and that she was not aware. And we were called the bad guys. And you were doing like 
there was there was still time to fix it. It was before you know all the violence escalated and everything went to hell. She could have educated herself, sit down with Rania, sit down with Katie, sit down, you know, like and actually learn from these people. She's just a shit candidate. Like these kinds of people being forced on us, we need to reject them, okay? Instead of being like, no, but like they're good on like ninety nine percent of the, you know, like I'm, I'm sound like Kyle fucking Kalinsky, you know. But she, if she's good on seventy percent, we have to take what we can take. Bullshit. No. That, but neoliberal tears. Do you mm -hmm. really think either Marianne or RFK Jr. really don't know the dynamics of this occupation? I find that so hard to believe because oh, they're I, both. I do not. I do you not. Know? I think both of them know it way too well. I think they're just uh, fall extremely on the side of favoring non-equality. Actually, there was a a part of the interview where um, Marianne was um, in the Instagram thing. By the way, Sabi, I'm sorry you had to listen to the full two fucking hours. It was such a nightmare. But like. <laughs> There was like one, did you see, he listened to the part where like Marianne was like, and then some people want a one state solution with equal rights for everyone. You can't make that work. How would that work? Who would rule it? That can never happen. She was like shitting on it, you know, and there were some deleted tweets that she had because I am a troll and I remember um, where she, she said it was anti-Semitic to call for a one state solution with equal rights for everyone. So so I agree with you, Noel. No, no, no. She knows that from the river to the sea means equality and not genocide. But she wants to misframe it. Like, that's why what pisses me off about, um, about them so much. They're like ruining the discourse with their bad takes. And it's, it's just not good. You know, we have to correct them. And like, you know, I was trying to think like, you know, like, okay, but, but like, you know, John, like, if some, sorry, um, if someone's like, you know, an RFK stand and wants to vote for them, third party, whatever, why does it bother me, right? Like, why would it, you know, better than Biden, better than Trump, like, why should I stop them? And I'm not, I'm not here to tell people how to vote, but like, when people are having like wrong opinions, we just, we have to correct them on that. We can't play the game of like, oh, but they're better than Biden or they're better than Trump, you know? Right. Um, was someone trying to chime in or no? Okay. I can bring in uh, Ashura. Hello, Ashura. You're on the mic. Just have to uh, hit that unmute button and then we'll be able to hear you. There you go. How's it going? What's today? going on, Ashura? Uh, been having stomach problems. And I don't want to. I don't want to be like uh, neoliberal tears and saying that uh, Marianne put a curse on me too. But uh, hearing, getting to hear two Zionists just bitch about the Palestinians and praise Israel made me my bowel movement start moving again. So I guess thank you for the solution. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm so I'm so sorry to hear that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, no, no. Just listen to it. It got me so angry. That to the point where I was pumping so much air into me, that bowel movement started to move. I'm like, the fuck? So I, so that's what I needed just to get me angry. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, my god! Yeah, the amount of bullshit uh, RFK was saying, I'm, I'm like, god damn it! Like, how did Crystal Ball just? Well, I would say that when it comes to Crystal Ball and Jimmy. 
This is how Crystal Ball Jimmy should have handled that shit. You may not know too much about it when he's over overcoming you with bullshit. Just stand your ground. He didn't do it. He should have done it like that. Even if I'm not saying you got to be like Max Bumuthal, uh, uh, Chris Hedges, Aaron Mate, Dan Cohen, but stand your ground on the shit that you know. Because yeah. because you can't fucking tell me for years they've had you on. They've talked about Palestine, foreign policy for years, and this motherfucker comes in your show, stinks up the fucking place, and you and you let him do that, and you didn't don't say shit. It was oh well, I, I should have left Black Smooth on hand. It was like why why are you letting Max on? Max is not the one who invited him into your house. You did. So you had the way, as the owner of the fucking house and the show, you should have handled that shit. And this is where, when it comes to him and Cornell, people just can't let the Cornell shit go over the RFK thing. Mm. But see, this is also why, and I, I think I've said this before, um, if you remember back in the day, I don't know if everyone remembers this, but remember when uh, Tulsi... When when Jimmy interviewed Tosi, some people said that back then too. They said that he was too soft on Tosi. Yeah. Like when it's it's someone that you like, and let's say you like their policies and stuff. You know, I know he liked uh, RK's position on uh, COVID yeah. and the mandates and stuff. But that doesn't mean you can let everything else fly. So like for me, like I like Jill Stein's policies. I like Cornell West policies. But if you notice, I still ask them tough questions. You know, I mean, it's yeah. it's just you have you have to go there. And this thing about RFK Jr., I, I told you guys, I really do believe that RFK Jr. is a plant. I do not believe this guy is as independent as he, he claims to be or whatever. I don't think he's going to be any different from any other corporate politician that we already have. He's in the club with the billionaires. He's in the club with super PAC money. Like he's not he's the illusion of something different. But he's not. Yeah, because uh, if the guy's a lawyer, he's going to be chumming with billionaires. Right. Most lawyers are. He was chumming with Hillary. I mean, they were good friends. Like, you know. Yeah, and he voted for Hillary. I'm like, how the fuck did Jimmy doesn't know that no, shit? Jimmy fucking hates they know, Hillary. They know each other personally. So, so like, yes. yeah, I agree with you. And Sally. in the like, very think... biggest picture, you have to understand that that Kennedy dynasty has proliferated through the American capitalist system, including some of the darker aspects of this whole thing. So these people are not going to run to tear down a system that has brought them safe thus far. I think both um, RFK Jr. and Marianne Williamson well understand what they are attempting to do in terms of steering this empire. They do not want to see it deconstructed. They want to see it maintained, and they're trying to walk that spider's thin line to get as many people as they can on their side. But at the end of the day, both of them, I believe, would support Joe Biden if it came down to that, because they're willing to play that type of game. I think so, too. Yeah, and the final thing, well, the thing I'll say about this, and I'll just leave the Jimmy segment off, is when... He she tried to put the videos on. He tried to stop it. You notice that? Mm-hmm. He tried to stop the videos. Even when Jimmy tried to bring them up where the Palestinians with the Israeli IDF were basically ruining a water source for for the Palestinians, he was like, Yeah, 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 stop stop, stop the video. Uh yeah, yeah, I don't want to see that shit. 
I'm like, what? It's not your show. Yep. He was incredibly rude. Yeah. He was incredibly rude, constantly interrupting her. Um, I felt like he became a little bit emotional there, a little bit irate. Um, But like I said, if it were the other way around and the interviewer were speaking to him that way, he would have said that he was attacked, which he's done before on Twitter. Yeah, because uh, he's a he's a man baby. Like, like he, he, even when I saw that shit, uh, he reminded me of Joe Biden. He's like a Joe Biden that hasn't lost his marbles. Right. I mean, it's it's. Oh man, and it's just it's. I'm sorry, but that interview totally exposed him because if you notice, the question that she asked him in the end, how would you handle it if you were president of the United States? He never answered that question. You know how they would go. The same with Joe Biden, the same with Trump. Give Israel whatever they fucking need to wipe the place off the map. Get the Palestinians out, flatten Gaza, do that thing that Netanyahu said at the UN. There's no Palestine. So I've heard some people say that like Trump would be exactly the same as Biden. Uh, And I just want to flag it for people that like, you know, it because it's it's probably likely that Trump will win over Biden. You know, it's probably likely that he'll be the outcome. I think we can all prepare ourselves. But um, Trump hates Bibi. And I just, for people who didn't know that, um, and it's for all the wrong reasons, um, you know, (laughs) Bibi um, acknowledged that Biden won the election, like, very quickly. Like, he didn't wait through the lawsuits and all of that. So Trump, (laughs) like, decided, you fucking motherfucker. Like, you stabbed me in the back. How dare you? So after that happened, Trump leaked to Axios that Bibi never wanted peace, that he fucking hates his guts, um, that, uh, uh, that Bibi is, like, actively working against peace, that the Palestinians are actually much better. Uh, he found them to be much more willing to make an agreement. Like, so all of that shit came out. So I don't know that Trump would have been as horrifying as Biden. I mean, it's a counterfactual. We can't know. But just just for, for, you know, because I see a lot of like Democratic bots being like, you know, oh, you know, Trump, like if the death toll is 18,000, Trump it, under Trump, it would have been 50,000, you know, and it's kind of a way to get you to vote for Biden. And I'm mm-hmm. just saying, like, we don't know. Um, but like, Savvy, who do you think is like, who do you think planted the plant? <laughs> in the pot in the potted plant uh eric was saying. like who do you think planted rfk like who is p- masterminding him like you know I, you want me to be that? honest you want to be honest and keep it real i think billionaires are behind this i think they're behind it think about it all of them support look david Sachs, bill ackman they support mm-hmm. rfk jr's campaign mm-hmm. they've heavily promoted him i don't know oh yes that's right we did cover this Bill Ackman and David Sachs have both donated money to RFK Jr.'s campaign. I think billionaires that support the Israeli lobby are behind it. I really do. Dennis Kucinich just sent me a text. Let me see what this is about. But Sabrina, oh but didn't you God. say beforehand that he was... Maybe he has like dirt on or like on why he fucking left that shithead. Maybe he loves it. Maybe he watched your show. This is amazing. Sabi, can you share? You don't have to share. I'm kidding. He sent me the Breaking Points interview. I'm just going to tell him, like, yeah. They really broke the points. I mean, you know, that was... I actually looked through the comments of Broken Points, and I have to say, Sabi, I think you're right. Like, it's it was not a good look for him. 
Because when, back when he went and debated the vaccine issue, he had a lot more, I think Crystal was the one that was um, unwilling to change the topic and sort of being, not letting him finish a sentence. And now it's flipped. And I think even their audience was like disappointed that he wasn't as pro-peace. And like what you said, when he was asked, so how would you handle Gaza? Like you, what's your plan? You're running for president. And he just went to Hamas. Like, but Hamas. But well, Hamas is so bad. But Hamas, to be, Hamas. To be fair, neoliberal tears, a portion of, of that, 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 that sub-base, they do watch Jimmy's show. So they know Jimmy does those segments every day. So it's no wonder there's a split there. And yeah. when it comes... When it comes to children getting bombed, blown up, losing limbs, <laughs> there is there are some that are on wheelchairs. They're they're so skinny that they can't even move. They have to move them away on wheelchairs. Like that, that's a point where you can see a fraction where there are some people like, no, I can't take this shit. I can't take this guy seriously. Well, and the others are like, and there's what? a fraction that's completely ignoring it. There's a fraction that's completely supporting him, fully genocidal. Saying there's people who are saying, oh, RFK doesn't support genocide. He's a like he supports peace. Like so, there are people who are going to be like stands. I I actually got into an an argument with one of them on Twitter, um, and I had to block her because that bitch was crazy. Like she told me she doesn't care about the Palestinian people. Oh my god! I wanna. I I was gonna type something to some of them. Like I was literally gonna type, "He's not gonna fuck you," and then I deleted it It, just because I'm. That's what it is. No, trying. I'm not trying to, like, you know, these fucking idiots, but he's not going to fuck you. He's not. And I'm saying that to women and men. Yo, that's what, listen, that's what it is, neoliberal. That's exactly what it is. Some of them have like this, they've got the, um, I I hate to say it, but. You mean that moment when he had his shirt off? They got the fuck me moment. They really do. Like they think they really think like RFK Jr. is gonna give them some or hook up with them or something in some way, shape, or form. Eric like in the they chat are really like Eric I mean, upset. Who the fuck was the fuck RFK? I'm like, come on. I'm at this point, I'm like, bro, come on. He's he's an old fuck. And and well, he, look, he was I, listen. He was a he was a womanizer. I don't know if all of you knew know that. Like he doesn't hide that. That was in, like in his past. But he was known for that. He was known for while he was ma- even when he was married, he was known for being a womanizer and and getting around. Are most Kennedy men? Mm. Yeah, yeah, most of the Kennedys. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm surprised, you. Sabrina. When it comes to uh, Marianne, she did she not remember she was on your show when she said. Uh, I have Palestinian friends. You have Palestinian friends. So how the fuck she doesn't know the history of Palestine or that Israel controls land, sea, and air that they can't do. Nothing goes inside. I mean, I've been seeing multiple videos from Al Jazeera, all these other independent uh, uh, shows that I've never heard before because of the Palestine, Palestine thing going on. They said the same thing. Israel controls anything. There's nothing that can go inside without Israel knowing. But somehow Israel doesn't control Gaza, the West Bank. They've occupied half the country. Half the country was renamed Israel. But you know what I really think mm-hmm. is so tragic in this situation? The the um, going narrative is the Palestinians will use the civilian, the Hamas will use the civilian population as shields and this, that, and a third. But the reality is Israel in terms of its rhetoric and narrative, 
is attempting to use Hamas as a scapegoat to justify their genocidal efforts towards the Palestinians. That's why every other word is Hamas, Hamas, Hamas. And if you pair the Hamas with they have a right to defend themselves, then people will look past the thing that, oh, we're busy. We weren't trying to kill all those civilians. We were just trying to get Hamas. But at a certain point, if you control the air, the water, what enters, what exits, you could simply, you didn't have to drop one bomb because the reality is those people had nowhere to run. That's right. And and essentially nowhere to hide. That's right. So it makes no sense that you swept into, jumped into this bombing, bombing, bombing. You controlled the entrance and the exit. So you could have simply waited them out and handled this whole thing in a different way. Yeah, just let hunger kill them. Because I I heard like there's a bunch of disease now uh, coming up in those camps now because there's flooding. That's what happens when you don't have clean water. This is another thing that happened um, in in Haiti. I covered this a while back where cholera actually started. It resurfaced in Haiti because they didn't have clean water. Yeah, because I'm because I'm like, I I didn't want to think that I thought I thought maybe something else. They were getting something else. But they're saying water is so bad down there that disease they're, they're wanting disease to kill them. And they're, and they're saying, oh, uh, Egypt's opened their doors. Jordan should open their doors. I'm, I'm pretty sure Egypt is going to basically bite their tongue and just let the shit happen because they don't want to play that game because they know mm-hmm. what they want them to do. They want them to open the door and then say, oh, guess what? The Palestinians have left the land. Therefore, it's ours. Yes, you're right, Ashura. And uh, when it comes to <laughs> the fact that both of them, pretend like uh, Israel is not psychotic. Israel Israelis never said Israeli politicians politicians never said shit about killing the Gazans. It's about it's online. Listen, I'm, I'm gonna tell you guys something I was told. And this is just what I was told. I don't know if it's a fact, but I was told that Marianne's ex husband was a prominent Zionist. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, then again, if you identify as a Jew and you defend the state of Israel, then you're a Zionist yourself. I mean, she was quoting like, you know, like the thing you'd like to say, why is she quoting uh, uh, former presidents? Why is she quoting former racist presidents? And then she's quoting, she's quoting former Zionists. <laughs> that Churchill guy, I'm like, do you understand he's a Zionist? You're praising like, a Zionist? No, that kills me when people mention things like, well, you know, Thomas Jefferson said, um, I'm sorry, I don't, uh, can we not bring up racist slave owners yeah. as people we should look towards? Like, well, please? I think she's, I think it's part of it is obviously she's a, she's racist, but I think part of it is like, you know, I think she's acting like a, as a, his, a his, I th- she's an actress and I think she's playing a historical character in her mind that's the reason she has like this aristocratic accent she's from houston like why is her accent so like you know like she came from like you know she came from like you know know, she came from like some fucking fairy tale like you know ah however like this is it's bullshit i'm telling you she's just (laughs) she ended up in la trying to act and it didn't it didn't are you serious 
Oh yeah, that's that's her first um um the first Vanity Fair article that she did. Like they sort of talked about how she moved to LA from Houston to be an actress. That was her dream. And wait a I mean, minute, wait a minute, wait a it's minute. It's a beautiful dream. I mean, I Neo no Libertiers. I wish Neo, she was Neo, an actress. No, Neo Libertiers. You're kidding me, right? I'm not. I mean, I'm come so on, not. Sabrina. She was on Oprah's show. No, yeah, but, but she was, she on, she on was Oprah. Oprah's. She was a nobody in LA. She was just like, you know, like just a lady trying to make it. And I just feel yeah. like that's so relatable, you know. Have you but forgotten yes, that Oprah that's, opened that's her origin story? That's her origin. I wonder how she met the husband then. You know, maybe it was through the, you know. But she's I from just, Houston. Yeah, I was wondering why. I, I I mean, I didn't get too personal, but I was wondering why she had that accent because I haven't met anyone uh, from Houston that that has that accent. But the other thing, too, is that um I, I do remember that she was Oprah's spiritual guru. I do remember that. Yeah, but Oprah tends to open doors for people in Hollywood. I remember this one girl, Leslie Bibb. She got like two gigs in the first, I think the first three Iron Man movies. She was the reporter, the blonde reporter in the all the three Iron Man movies. Like she opened the door for her. So it's not uncommon if Oprah can open the doors to Hollywood. And she opened the doors to Weinstein too. (laughs) Maybe the seller. Yeah, it's there's a bunch of revisionist history. Oh, did you know, Sabrina, there's some looting going around. I saw this clip on Al Jazeera, IDF members laughing that they bombed and killed people or some of them left their houses and they're searching the place and there was this beautiful necklace. I don't know. And they were basically biting on it just to see if it's real. And they're like, bro, motherfuckers are just looting shit. And they're putting it on camera. And they say it's the most moral army and you're looting? Um, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know, man. I just don't think that Oprah has made good picks. <laughs> That's what it sounds like to me. Uh, Marianne, um, Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil, anyone else let me know. Yeah. Oh my God. I, there was some guy in together. Brazil, I think that she was advocating for, and he turned out to be some type of child molester or something oh that's right that's right i, I covered that i forgot about that guy she the jesus guy oh go ahead oh. no you're liberty no I, I didn't realize there was a jesus guy in brazil too because oprah had like a school in africa that had all of these scandals too yeah Mm-mm-mm. yeah and, and the thing about the i just before you said it online uh, on the on your stream i was looking on twitter and uh, i kind of uh tweeted at the Tory, and then I saw Kit, and Kit said, Israel, Israel killed three hostages, three other hostages. I'm like, okay, uh, are we going to say Hamas did them? Yeah, I, I saw your message in the live chat, and I was like, okay, let me Google that really quick, because I was like, holy crap. But uh, RFK Jr. won't talk about that, though. Or if it's it's mentioned in front of him, you know, he'll probably just say, I don't believe that. Yeah, because I'm like, yo, somebody's been training him to talk. I'm pretty sure Rabbi Schmuck has been there every step of the way. Dude, I don't, I like, I just, that interview was embarrassing. I hope RFK Jr. didn't walk away from that discussion with Breaking Points thinking that he landed some punches. Oh, no. He, he probably, well, maybe Rabbi Shmuley will tell him he did great. 
or he'll go on Pierce Morgan. I, well, in fact, I'm waiting for Pierce Morgan to bring him on because Pierce Morgan had he had three people. He had uh, Nomiki Kamps versus Glenn Greenwald and uh, and another guy. It did not go well for Nomiki. I haven't watched that one yet. I have to check that. I have to watch that one, and I have to watch the one with Norm Finkelstein and Alan Alan Dershowitz. Yes, I have to watch that one. So you guys will see tomorrow. um, (laughs) I interviewed Norm uh, earlier today, and uh, I did play that clip from Marianne for Norm, and I wanted to get his perspective. I'm not going to give it away, but Norm, and it, it, it was hard for me not to laugh. So I had to laugh. I was like, I can't believe he just said that because he's very frank. And Norm said, part of what Norm said was he said, I wish Marianne Williamson would just shut up. <laughs> uh, no, I, I've, I've seen I mean, I've heard him say the word shut up before. <laughs> but, you, you know, but the, you know, the funny part about that, Sabrina, is that he tried to bring that up with Brianna and he she, she shut down the conversation. Because she was so into Marianne. I don't know if she's still with Marianne. I heard Katie dropped her. Really? Yeah. Because of that interview? No, no, not that in- not that interview. Um uh, I think it was it was a while back. She was on uh she was on with Due Dissidents and I was in the chat and people said that she she dropped Marianne. It was a couple of weeks ago. Like she she's done with her. I'm telling you this Israel Gaza issue, like Marianne had all these resources at her fingertips with people who were really good and knowledgeable on this issue. Come on now. This, all you got to do is look at Katie's channel. How often does she talk about Israel and Gaza? And she's been talking about this for a long time, way before October 7th. How does Marianne not know? She knows. I they think know. this is going to be a defining issue. Um, Depending upon how things go into 2024, this is going to be a hotbed issue, especially because you have the non-Zionist Jewish community standing up, you know, mm-hmm. and it's they become like kryptonite to the Israel lobby because they can't necess- they can't easily call them anti-Semites. Right. And so we see their voices coming through and and it's really impressive because they're taking serious stands, you know, like shutting down bridges and this, that and a third. And they're making it clear that this is not in our name and um, Jews for peace and this and that. So it's just the narrative is just beyond anything that the mainstream can control. And I think everybody is pulling their hair because people sound like raving idiots or just so inept because the everyday people seem to have the better take on the whole thing. Yes, indeed. I mean, it's just, I, but you know, they, they'll try to spin it any type of way they want to, but it's absolutely ridiculous when they call um, other Jewish people anti-Semitic. It's just so, or they call them like self-hating, like Jewish people. It's just ridiculous, man. I mean, it's even worse when they call they they think that Muslims aren't Semitic people. Um, Bernie Sanders basically exposed himself. Like I know you didn't do it last week, but he completely exposed himself as a Zionist, piece of shit, racist. He's always been in that that shit. He was never anything he said he was. And like Nick said, he did the biggest scam by funneling so much money from people for eight years straight 
on two campaigns he was not really serious about. And I, I think Nick likes, Nick likes to say the working class should not basically funnel their money to politicians who are just going to uh, do basically just give the money back to the Democratic Party. And I'll finish with this one, Sabrina. There's something I wanted to send you. I don't know if you would have read it. Uh, it's about the whole uh, uh, the, 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 the Holocaust. Because I've always wondered like, what was the number? Because they always bring up that the Holocaust supersedes like when you bring you try to bring up the holocaust about african-americans the slave trade and all that shit mm-hmm. they always bring up you try to say talk about slavery because i i was just tired i just looked up google and like how many how much people i mean people within the slave trade africans were basically sold and it, it said 15 million people but then i'm like that doesn't account for the amount of slaves that were born into slavery right right Right. Because if you're born into slavery, you 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 can't you add that to that 15 million people. So well, I see, I see Ashur has been doing Ashur has been doing his research. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna basically do this. I'm gonna just let people uh basically go afterwards. So this is the title of this one: The Myths of the Holocaust. The title title of this one says there were 11 million victims of the Holocaust. Parentheses. 6 million Jews and 5 million non-Jewish victims. So why do we always say they always bring up the 11 million, but they never really go too deep on the number? You know what? I mean, it's, it's, this is all, it's purposeful. All of it. Like, again, like they, they want us to focus on certain issues, right? It's just like, I told you guys about the distraction and how PR campaigns come in and how they try to manage, they try to do uh, damage control. What they do is, what they just did with this particular war with Israel and Gaza, they actually bring up another topic to get you to focus on that, to distract you from what's happening in front of you. So like, in order to try to get people's attention off of the genocide issue, they said, let's focus on the language from the river to the sea and get people to focus on that so that they're not focused on the actual genocide that's happening. That's how one of the ways that PR campaigns work. They try to distract you. This, But the thing is, it didn't work. I really don't believe that mainstream media and U.S. government officials, I don't believe that they were prepared for this type of reaction in reference to October 7th. I think that they thought that the American people in general would go along with, we need to protect the state of Israel. We need to support the people. They weren't expecting the blowback to fall on the state of Israel. They weren't expecting thousands of people to be out in the street all across the world uh, protesting for the Palestinian uh, freedom. They weren't expecting that. So when it happened, then it was like, what do we do? How do we do damage control? So what did they do? They started saying that one of the phrases is anti-Semitic. So they tried to do that, but that still, it still didn't work. The protests are still happening. Well, it's like what you said, Sabrina, uh, when the Vietnam War, in order to stop the Vietnam War, people had to see it. Yes. So now this is like the Vietnam War again. So now they're seeing it. And people are people are getting like when it comes to RFK stands, they're they're split in half. Like they can't they can't just watch this shit and just pretend like, oh, I'm supposed to I'm supporting a guy that's killing kids. 
yeah, anyways, I'm going to finish my, the article. What it says is the, the, 11, the number 11 million is a fictitious, num- fictitious number on a number of levels. Ele- quotation, 11 million Jews is the population census that is mentioned in the 16th copy of the 1C protocol, notes taken by Eichmann, Eichmann in January, January 20, 1942, only about the Jews. The issue also seemed to be the differentiation between victims based on the NSDAP race policy versus civilian deaths during war, i.e., victims of genocide or casualties of war. If the latter, if the latter, the correct number is probably between 30 to 5 million deaths, maybe more. The death toll on the te- on the territory of the former Soviet Union is generally regarded to be about 27 million. Including Soviet military, it is it is best when referring to the total number of victims of the Holocaust to say six million Jews and millions of others. All Holocaust organizations are making a united move to adhere to this message, and we must maintain a consistent record as a center of Holocaust education. And with that, I'm probably going to let people <clears throat> basically move to the queue. All right. Thank you so much, Ashura. Let's go ahead and bring in Kirby. Kirby, you are on the mic. For those who don't know, Kirby is also a character in Smash Bros. There's a video game called Smash Bros. I don't know if anyone's played that game, but I usually would pick like Kirby or Jigglypuff. Those are my favorite ones to play with. Kirby, you there? Going once, going twice. Going three times. All right, we're gonna go to Dr. Nick. Kirby may have fallen asleep. What's going on, uh, Dr. Oh, sorry, Dr. Nick, I think I accidentally invited you. Oh no, Kirby, I'm so sorry. Come back, Kirby, I'll invite you up in the speaker queue. What's going on, Dr. Nick? You are in the queue. Hello? And Kirby, I invite you to speak. What's going on, Dr. Nick? Sabby, good evening. Long time listener, first time caller. How's it going? Going great. How are you? I'm amazing. Thank you for asking. A little drunk because I was uh, doing that drinking game. How many lies uh, does RFK Jr. do? And so every time he <laughs> lied, I was drinking. What was the number? Anybody I, know? I lost count. I lost count. I'm halfway down the bottle. <laughs> Somebody was counting in the chat, and I think the last number I saw was 24. Oh, sh- I yeah. Know. Yeah, no. I, I oh. believe it. I believe it because that, that interview was so revealing. It was so cringe, and I didn't put the pieces together, and I didn't add it up until you put it into focus for us when you said he was a plant because it makes sense that way. Everything this man is doing, RFK or R Oof K Jr., or as Sean calls him, uh, HPV Jr., Human Papillomavirus Virus Jr., because he ate some disease. Um, he is a plant. It's the only explanation, and the way you put it and you laid it out, your your argument makes complete and total sense. What other reason, what other explanation is there for this person? Because I don't want to call him a man. What other reason is there for this person to act the way and say the things that he is saying 
because we all know he's educated. We all know he's smart. We all know he does and signs on the right side of things, for instance, environmental law, when he's argued for it in favor of it. But yet he is on the wrong side of this issue because he has to be a plant. What other explanation is there, Savvy? I'm telling you, man. I don't know, man. I think I need to start sniffing out plants. Because, like, I I just, I really just feel like, because think about it. You get someone to run for candidate, to run for president that, you know, says things that the American people really want to hear at this point in time. Let's say their big selling point is the COVID issue. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So you push forth this person and then... To go along with that, you basically, you know, let's have them run through one of the two parties, right? So he comes from a family of Democrats. He says he's a Democrat. Have him go through the Democratic Party to make it look legit. Mm -hmm. Then when the Democratic Party does what we know they're going to do anyway and try to rig it, then you'll break and you'll run like as an independent. That'll be part of the plan. We're not going to tell anybody, but let's pretend like, you know, that's the plan in hand. Then it's like now it's like this guy is the other option. So if you don't want the same status quo, you can just go ahead and support RFK Jr. as the independent. That's what they'll do, right? Right. And here's the thing, Sabs. I was really falling for that shit. And I feel dumb because I'm admitting it out loud. But the reality is... Because I'm so against the uniparty. I know people call it the duopoly, but it's not It's not the duopoly. It's the uniparty. It really is a uniparty. And because I'm so against the uniparty, I'm looking at my options. And prior to this fool talking the way he talks about the Israel-Palestine issue, I was like, okay, I'm not really done with him, but if... I can get him to 15% and fuck up the uniparty. Fine, so be it. But in good conscience now, Savvy, I can't, not with his take on Israel-Palestine. Not, not in good conscience, no. No, I cannot. And it's a real dilemma for people that are trying to mm, the uniparty, and we're trying to mm, it up, you know? And so, like, where do we go? Who do we have? What options do we have? I think it's going to have to be Jill Stein and the Green Party because at least the Green Party has some type of infrastructure. Why the Green Party when we all know their opposition and they're controlled? Why is the Green Party still the Green Party and they don't have a real presence unless it's an election year because they're fake? So, no, the Green Party is not an option. See, I think a a part of the problem is people stand back from the Green Party and complain. But the issue is, in order to build it out, you have to get involved. And, you know, I think people just refuse to get involved. And why are they only relevant during during uh, presidential election years? Because because they because they control. They are controlled. And if you can't see that, I'm sorry. You're wrong. You are absolutely wrong. And I say that with complete respect for you. And I say that with complete respect. But the fact that they haven't been able to organize 
and be a continuing presence in American politics continuously, not just during presidential years, but during non-presidential year elections. And the fact that they can't be consistent is a real issue. So they well, ain't real. That well, just they shows that they are controlled opposition and they infiltrated. They well, ain't real and they're not a real party. Well, one one second. There's infiltration in every organization, every group. Like that does happen. But one thing I will say is I do want people to understand that the Green Party has had wins on the local level. I've actually interviewed Green Party politicians. You just don't hear you don't hear about these people because it's local. So that's the thing. Like they have won. In fact, I believe it was last year. Yeah, last year, 2022. I listed off all the Green Party candidates that won in California alone. So again, nobody talk. Nobody taxes. talks about, huh? So I'm sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead, continue. Nobody talks about talks about it on the local. Like, like nobody mentions those wins that are happening on the local level, but they are happening. I interviewed a mayor on my show. I think it was last year. Who is I forget the name of the town. It's a town in in Illinois, but he's the mayor. Um, in in Illinois, he's a Green Party. He ran as Green Party. Uh, and this guy is actually, he wrote a book and everything. I have to go back and look. I think his name is, first name is Peter, but he wrote a book and everything about how to fix the climate issue. And he, he what he, what did he say on my show? He actually said that nobody, he said, nobody contacted me. He said, my father and I sat down and wrote up a whole book of solutions in reference to the climate issue. And he said, did anybody contact me? Did the Washington Post call me for my opinion? No. He said, Girl, because I, I'm not, I'm not one of the, the status quo voices. So they don't want to hear, hear what I have to say. He said, they're not serious about having any real solutions when it comes and, to that particular issue. I don't believe that the Green Party is real serious about having solutions because the real, if the Green Party was serious about having solutions, they would have been promoting that gentleman or that winner or whatever he was in Illinois. And I'm from Illinois originally. And I'm going to tell you straight up, Sabby, um, irrelevant during non-presidential election years. And I recently moved to Texas a year ago, so now I'm in the DFW area. And I'm going to tell you the Green Party is not um, present here in this area at all. So in I'm, where, I'm sorry, in where? DFW, Dallas-Fort Worth. In, in in Texas? Yeah. Dallas so Delilah, Delilah Barrios ran for governor as a Green in Texas. Delilah got like over 30,000 votes. I had her on my show like multiple times. I just got here a year ago, so I'm not familiar with her. But I will tell you that the area that I'm in currently, nowhere to be mentioned. Greens are nowhere to be mentioned. And in Illinois, where I was, nowhere to be mentioned. But here's the thing also we have to consider. Politics is the people. And so... It's not like it's window shopping where you sit up and these models parade around and say, well, we're the this party with the If you if the circumstances of your life and the circumstances of this country are such that you feel compelled that something should be different, then it's on it's on each of us to figure a way to get in and get involved. We can't just sit back and say, well, this one doesn't work. Well, that one doesn't work. Well, this one as if. They're there for us. We have to be involved and go and make it and shape it into what we want it. And, and I'll be honest with you. And I'll be honest with you. 
I don't feel like anybody is out there that can like check off the boxes that we're looking for. But we have to be the ones we are waiting for. We can't sit up and just critique what everybody else is doing. At least they're trying to do something. Mm, So if if it's not to your satisfaction, then it's on us to have to build it and and create what it is that we want because nobody is going to come to save us. uh, Ballot initiatives is where we need to be going. Ballot initiatives. And we need to take advantage of that where ballot initiatives are on the ballot in the states where they are available. But the candidates, obviously, the Republicans and the Democrats are the same people. It's the same exact fucking party. We all know that. We, we, I, think we're, uh, I think we're kidding ourselves when we call it the duopoly, when in reality, it's the uniparty. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to talk from experience. Mexico had the perfect dictatorship, and it's referred to as the perfect dictatorship when the PRI ruled for over 75 years, okay? And looking at Mexico as history, as the baseline, I'm looking at the U.S., and we currently have the perfect dictatorship in the sense that we are offered a false sense of choice with the Democrats and the Republicans when they in fact are the exact same one. Why? Because we have no, we have to look no further than just the resolution that they just passed in Congress where Zionism or anti-Zionism is the exact same thing as anti-Semitism. And it passed with flying colors. And the only motherfucker that said no was fucking Thomas Massey. And I fucking hate, hate that I have to agree or fucking Thomas Massey has to agree with me in this sense, in this world. Because ain't nothing Thomas Massey and I have anything in common. And yet these fuckers are saying that him and I have something in common, such as the Bill of Rights, where Congress shall not pass any laws that infringe on free speech. And they just fucking pass that shit. No, girls, ladies, it's the uniparty. There is no duopoly. It's the fucking uniparty. And it's the fucking perfect dictatorship but you know under a dictatorship with a semblance of choice when we do not have any choice but i i opened up my comments saying that they successfully make sure that you have unacceptable options they're not going to allow that so the issue becomes how do we break out of this how do you educate enough people to get to the place where we know the power within the masses has to, I mean, it really is revolution. It really, it really is, has to come really, to that, but really how long is, does it, really it take is. for it people to realize it? Mind. And it's not just revolution of the mind. It really is actual revolution. It really is actual revolution. Revolution of the mind ain't getting us there. It is not getting us there at all. We are screwed. We are 
really screwed. We are behind the eight ball. And if anybody knows anything about, you know, uh, pool or anything like that, being behind the eight ball is not good at all. At all. You have to be like a genius playing pool to be behind the eight ball and rack them up and win. It's difficult. It's not easy. It's not easy. And we really are behind the eight ball. We really are behind the eight ball this time. It's insane. And it can't be clearer. We're screwed. Like Misty says from INN, from Independent News Network, we are fucked. Fucked. We are really fucked. We really are. Well, you know, I've said it's that insane. a number of times, too. This this empire in collapse has passed a point where it appears like there's a way to rescue it from its mm-hmm. end. But, I mean, no. all the signs are there that it's just girl, going to continue to implode. Let me tell you something, girl. The people that want to rescue it are messed up. These are people that want to continue some sort of empire and want to continue some sort of, uh, you know, homogeny and want to keep things the way they are. And the reality is keeping the things the way they are is messed up, not just for us living within the empire, but for everybody else living outside the empire is messed up beyond belief. And I want to continue and expand on that point, Savvy, you mentioned Mexico. Mexico is not free. Mexico is not sovereign. Mexico is not free, nor it is sovereign. When Vicente Fox won in the 2000s, they had to get Washington's approval. They had to get Washington's approval and say, hey, it looks like the majority of the people voted for Vicente Fox. Is that kosher with you? And Washington said, mm, let's find out. No, yeah, I, I, he's all right. I, I hear what you're, he's all right. I'm, I'm he's sorry. all right. But the reality I, is Mexico is not sovereign, nor is it free. Mexico is dependent, and it is under the thumb of Uncle Sam. And now with the USMC, or NAFTA number two, version 2.0, it is even more under the thumb of Uncle Sam. And not just Mexico, it's fucking Canada too. Look at Canada and their foreign policy. They fucking had this executive, this woman from Huawei under house arrest. And they just fucking uh, arrested uh, some Indian sheik or some something with India and some Indian people because of some chic or murder, blah, blah, blah. And that was under the pressure of the US. So Canada's foreign policy is is completely dependent upon the US's foreign policy. Mexico's foreign policy is dependent on US's foreign policy. And Mexico's domestic policy is completely dependent on the US's domestic policy. And now with the USMC, the economies, of Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. are more interdependent than ever before. So for anybody to think that Canada is sovereign and independent or that Mexico is sovereign and independent are living 
in an illusion. The economies are more intrinsically connected than ever before. Okay, Dr. Nick, um, I, I totally hear what you're saying. Um, I think you're right in reference to like the ballot initiatives. I think you're right. Listen, I've been telling you guys all year long, if you live in a ballot initiative state, need to get that going. Like I, I still stand by that. And I'll be discussing the new ones that are coming in for 2024 as well. But what I'm saying is, is that in reference to actual parties per se, I haven't seen one organization or party that hasn't had some type of infiltration. So just FYI. But that being said, I think it's it's very clear to me that I think people are focusing so much on the national level and not so much on the local level. And I I would hope that what I've shown you guys over the years with the ballot measures is that most of the progressive changes are happening on the local level, not on the national level. So that's that's the point. Like the reason why I kept talking to you guys about those things, because I want you to understand you can get some of these changes where you live. And no, I know there all the states aren't ballot initiative states, but what has happened in the past, like for example, New York isn't a ballot initiative state, but Massachusetts is. When Massachusetts legalized marijuana, that put pressure on Connecticut and then Connecticut put pressure on New York. So that's that's what I'm saying. Like we can't sleep on the local stuff. The local actions are important. Local actions are very important. Absolutely, Sandy. And I've learned that from listening to you, from listening to Heartland Media, from listening to um, RBN and others. And I'm so glad that I found you again, long time listener, first time caller. Um, and like, honestly, Sandy, like, you're amazing. You're crazy amazing. You're awesome. I try not to miss your segments, your presentations, your shows. And the way you just um, present the issues, so clear, so concise, it's just, I wish more people were onto you. I really do. I really seriously mean that. I really wish more people were onto you. Because you come across as somebody that's friendly because you are, but at the same time, you are so incisive that when you do your interviews, people expose themselves. You would think people people would figure that out by now too, though, by the way, but they, they, they don't. Um, mm -mm. <laughs> no, they don't. They don't. They don't. You're you are an amazing interviewer, to be honest. And the the way that you give them the rope, and you just give them rope and rope and so much rope, and whatever they do with that rope is up to them, girl. Mm. That's why I follow you. That's why I listen to you. That's why. Oh, Sabby's on. Oh, gotta listen to her. Gotta check her out. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. 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 I know there's other people that, that disagree with your way of, uh, with your style. And that's fine. They can disagree all they want. 
But honestly, Sam, girl, the way you do things, the way they, the way people hang themselves, no, keep on doing, keep, keep on doing the way, keep, you keep on doing you, is all I'm saying. You keep on doing you, is all I'm saying. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So, I appreciate you, Savvy. I'm a, I'm a dip, and I'm going to keep on listening. Dr. Nick. Yes. Yes, I'm listening. Hey, what's going on? Um, Not much, I, just, I, I just got on, so I, I don't know what was being said about initiatives. But um, do you live in this? What's Who's that? Who's this? Who is this? Yeah. Roger. Huh? It's Roger. Okay. Oh, good, good, good. Am I coming in clear? Yes, you are. Oh, okay. Um, so you live in a ballot initi initiative state? Yeah, I'm in Texas right now. Oh, that's not a ballot initiative state. Uh, Illinois um, as well. So I do, I do both. Oh, you live in two states? Yeah, absolutely. I'll claim residency in both. I'll claim residency in both. God damn it! Fuck I, do, I do. I'll take advantage. I'll take advantage of the system. I do want to make sure I'm, I'm, to take advantage of it. Yeah, I'm sorry, Roger. I want to make sure I get to Kirby because Kirby was a, a head of Dr. Nick and then he got kicked out. Hey. Go ahead, Kirby. Hey. Well, you know, there's more than one plant, Savvy. Vivek is probably a Democratic plant. WEF has, lo has lots of Democratic, uh, has lots of plants in our system, you know? Uh, uh, that's one of the things RFK Jr. said that I was thinking about a lot. He, he was talking about how the Palestinians have gotten $8,000 from somewhere, each person. And I was trying to figure out how much uh, money the United States has given each person of Israel over the last 70 years. And it's got to be in excess of hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the result is that they have free medical care, free education. Um, we basically pay for them to be able to live there. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why, you know, I think money's a big deal for all of us, isn't it? And don't mm -hmm. we all wish that the government would funnel some our way? Um, yep. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and the third thing I had on mind, I called you a couple of weeks ago telling you about how I was being unsubscribed from everybody all the time, which is still going on. But uh, the two people who are never allow me to be subscribed to is Glenn Greenwald and, um, uh, oh, you mentioned her earlier and I can't, I, she's. Um, Kim Iverson? Yes, Kim Iverson. And I figured out why they, they won't let them have a new subscription, even though their subscribers are growing. I don't know how that works. It's because they are live on Rumble. Hmm? And they don't like that. That was about Kirby, all I had to minute, say. Wait a minute, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Well... For instance, like Jimmy Dore, uh, RBN, Hard Lens Media, Dude Dissidents, uh, Midwestern Marks, 
they are being unsubscribed all the time with me. But I don't have to do it every time I watch them, okay? Every time I go to Glenn Greenwald or <laughs> I've forgotten her name again, um, to watch their shows, every time they're not subscribed, even though I subscribed to them just 15 minutes ago. So I think they're just being targeted because they do a live stream solely on Rumble. Oh, you mean they they're some they're the channels that just will do a Rumble stream sometimes. Well, they they exclusively do live streams on Rumble and everything they put on YouTube is a clip. But RBN doesn't and you, do that. you but no, but but again, RBN I don't have to subscribe to every day. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I've, but I've had to subscribe to RBN and Jimmy Dore and all them just this last month or so, oh four or five times at least. So they're really targeting everybody at Google. So I, I, I wish YouTube was. Yeah, ahead, I just sorry. I just want to let people know something. So I couldn't remember who said that to me. But now I remember it was you, Kirby. Yes. I actually was just talking to the guys at RBN about this. We were just talking about this recently. I did a shadow ban test for RBN and we're shadow banned. Right. And there's there's ways that you can do a test for it. So I did a shadow ban test and I was talking to the guys about it. And I said, they are really killed. Like, I don't have this. I don't have it happen much with my channel, but with RBN, they are definitely like we're all suppressed. Don't get me wrong, but RBN right. is even more suppressed. And I, I, so what I did for the shadow band test is I logged in as RBN. I went to a stream or a clip, watched a couple minutes of it. So, you know, it doesn't think it's a bot or whatever. Watched a couple minutes of it, left a comment, not a comment that would get banned or censored. So the right. comment that I left, I think was something about, um, um, I, I totally hear where you're coming from. Something like that, right? That I know YouTube would not flag. Then what you do, you post the comment, then I logged out, okay? Okay. And then yeah. I went back to that video. I did this twice. I did it in the same browser and I did it in a different browser. Went back to that video, that comment wasn't there. <laughs> that's, yeah, well. that's how you can tell the shadow ban test. Well, you know, oh. as a free subscriber to YouTube, right, I don't I don't have any legal standing. And the reason why I brought it up to you uh, and, and to all the people I subscribe to is because, uh, yes, they can do anything to me and I don't have any legal standing. But I think the subscription numbers go into accruing the amount of money they pay you. And. I think if they're playing with your subscription numbers, the way they're playing with them, that that's damage to you. And that y'all all would have a legal reproach. But I know, you know, watch, watch you're going to pay lawyers to do this. I understand how it all is because I've had lawyers in life and our whole legal system sucks so bad. I believe that we should have not only Medicare, we should have legal care um, and we should set but that's a different thing entirely. Wait, what do you mean by legal care? Well, that I means, mean, you know, uh, legal care means that you actually can go to someone and get real, me uh, real legal advice that's not 
overworked like your uh, public defenders are overworked. And the reason why you can do that is because we set the prices on how much lawyers can actually make. If we did that, we'd have a lot fewer lawyers in this world, and this world would be a whole lot better. Another reason I would have a problem with RFK. You know, I love uh, Brianna, Brianna Joy Gray. I really love to listen to her. She's well-spoken. She's brilliant. She knows a lot. But a little bit of me is re- resentful because she is a lawyer. Well, one thing I was, I was, I was going to say to you guys is um, this all makes sense, what you just said, Kirby, because Kim and Glenn have uh, rumble contracts and so does Russell Brand. Mm-hmm. So they don't make me, um, they haven't unsubscribed me to Russell. And I think that's because he has such a big base. They're afraid of him. Well, no, I mean, they weren't, they weren't too afraid to demonetize his entire channel. No, they're not afraid <laughs> to take his money. But uh, uh, he has what? I, if I remember the last time I looked, doesn't he have 6 million YouTube subscribers? Last time I checked, he had more subscribers than TYT. Yeah, he did. So, but the thing is, but the point that the point that Kirby's making up, you guys are saying you guys is really important, is the fact that basically YouTube is trying to punish people that have those rumble contracts. Right. Absolutely. That's what they're doing. Because it doesn't make any sense. If you right. look at if you look at Glenn Greenwald's channel and you look at the amount of subscribers he has, first of all, he should have way more subscribers. And two, his videos should have way more views. Way more views. Same thing with Kim Iverson. Now, Kim Iverson was getting viral videos on her YouTube channel when she was still a part of Rising. Like right. she was getting viral videos on her own personal YouTube channel when she was a part of them at that time. But then it does seem like once she signed that Rumble exclusive, it seems like it's like they're punishing those people. You're right. They are. And, but the, uh, you, you know, know, one thing comment about Rumble is they're redoing their format. So maybe it'll start getting better. Uh, I noticed I went to, I watched, uh, did you see the, I doubt you did because you're preparing for the show, the uh, Glenn Greenwald and Tucker Carlson uh, interview. It Not was very yet. interesting. I, have, I haven't seen it yet. It's still on my list. I have a couple of videos that are on my list to watch that I haven't seen yet. <laughs> well, it was very interesting. And, and I've hated Tucker Carlson unfoundedly most of my life. I remember when he was young. And he was a prick. And he is, he's, a, he's, I think he's mellowed and grown. And, and I don't know if I've said this to you before, but I think I have, that everybody has to go through their changes. Okay. And uh, one of the things he said in this interview with Glenn Greenwald that I took to heart, and I want to hear more. He said, I, I don't care what you call our system of economics. Call it whatever you want. Call me a socialist if you want. But he said, our system isn't working. That kind of blew me away, to be honest. I don't think they would have let him say that on Fox News. Oh, no, fuck no. <laughs> but if Tucker Carlson, who was raised with a silver spoon in his mouth, even though he was adopted, um, can come to the realization 
that this system isn't working for anybody, not even him. There may be hope, hope I hate to think about often because hope also sets us up for disappointment. But I think we can have hope in each other if we allow each other to change and if we really start listening to one another. I know that's a big thing for some people, but I'm old. It's, it is happening a lot more than it did at any time in my life. That's what my parents said. And, um, you know, I don't know if it does RBN or you any good when I tell young black people, some white old man, tell them, you need to be looking up these people. Oh, but I do my best. OK. <laughs> and, and just remember that uh, that uh, Spotify is owned by Google. So Joe Rogan is being paid by Google. And even if his show wasn't on YouTube anymore, He's still being paid by Alphabet, which is uh, Google, and just keep that in mind. Joe Rogan and all these other uh, podcasts are being still paid by Google, which is Alphabet, and Spotify is owned by Alphabet. So Joe Rogan is paid by Alphabet, which is Google, and all these people that you think aren't being paid by Google are being paid by Google. That's right. Keep that in mind. Sab- yeah. Sab- well, that? look, this is oh, sorry, uh, goes back to the plants. Billionaires have so much money. They have so many people operating for them. They don't know that. It's not like they're smart and they know all these people are doing that. They just have so much wealth that that is how it works. And, you know, until we get rid of billionaires and save them from themselves, because when you have more than you can ever dream of using or needing or even wanting, okay, you're not a very healthy person. No, you're not. You're not. You're absolutely correct when you say that. And we worry about all the mental illness of drugs and, and, and whatnot. But, you know, everything can be a drug and power. And wealth is a drug also that destroys not only the person who is using it, but the people that are being deprived of that pile of wealth and sustenance that they're sitting on. Not only the people that are being denied and not only the person that that is being used, but also the person that is the actual billionaire. That person is completely empty, completely empty. They are empty. And I'm talking as an example, as an example, as an example. I'm talking about Elon Musk. I'm talking about Jeff Bezos. I'm talking about all those fucking billionaires out there that that exist and are empty. They are fucking empty. They're empty fucking vessels. They're empty vessels trying to be in the good graces of the establishment. Elon Musk, you think he would fucking go to Israel on his own? On his fucking own? To do the shit that he did? No! He never would have on his own. Never would have. I'm gonna say he never would have. 
I'm going to allow the possibility, the possibility that maybe on his own he would have supported Israel. But the reality is that he is so tied up with the military industrial complex that his fortune, that his billionaire fortune rests upon the contract that he receives from the government. Okay. Well, and because, because of the, that, the, the now he's doing his shit. He's doing his his dance and he's doing his whatever the fuck you want to call it. And his he's doing it in order to keep the contracts. Oh USA government. Oh USA administration. Oh Joe Biden. Ah, uh, I want to keep my contracts. Ah, uh, let me go to Israel. Let me kiss the ground. Oh, apartheid state. Just like my old days when I was a kid in South Africa. Oh, let me kiss the ground of apartheid state. Oh, I love it. I love apartheid. And that's what he did. That's what the, that's what he fucking did. He went to Israel to kiss the ground of a fucking apartheid state, which he grew up in. Which he fucking grew up in. Well, the elites need to acknowledge it in order to keep the fucking government military contracts that he has. Well, the elites are always class loyal. Always. Always. And that's the problem with us poorer people is that we are not we are not solid with our fellow workers. uh, Brianna Joy Great, which I fucking have a crush on. But the reality is that includes her as well. That includes uh, Kitty Helper. That includes all of them. Well, that includes all of them. They're class traitor. No, but they no, no look. They aren't, Katie they aren't and Brianna are on the cusp of what I'm talking about. Changes. I think they're on our side. Mm-mm, but mm-mm. how far they'll come along no, they with they us? They ain't. They ain't. They ain't on our side. They ain't on our side. They have enough material to prove to us they ain't on our side. Well, just because, again, I, I believe in, in change. And and I, personally, I see a lot of change in people. And just because I think of people, you're either a caterpillar or a butterfly. And you can be a caterpillar or a butterfly on many levels. But until you're a butterfly... You're just a caterpillar. Hey, guys. Caterpillar is a problem. I think Sabrina is having some technical difficulties, but I think Are we she's, alone? <laughs> she's Are trying we? to get Eric to come in so he can move um, the chat along. Okay. 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 There you go, Eric. Um, okay. okay. I'm, I'm, well, I'm I have difficulties myself. If there's but, uh, follow, yeah, we're going to... Um, off and let everybody and just listen, because I've been sitting in my car, and it's cold. Okay. And uh, good night, everybody. All right. Thanks, Kirby. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And whoever wants to talk, by all means, thank you so much for letting me talk. I appreciate it. Thank you, Savvy. Thank you, Eric. And all right. Thanks, Nick. We'll uh, catch you next time. All right. All right. Now we're moving along to Jay. What do you got, Jay? Oh, I don't think we're hearing from Jay. Can you hear me now? Maybe try muting. Oh, there you go. Yeah, we got you. Uh, What's up? All right. So um, 
I was actually listening to this guy named Tony Greenstein. Uh, apparently, he wrote this book, and he went through the history of the connections between Zionists and Nazis in the 1930s. And so he pretty much depicts the whole situation that happened as Zionists working in parallel with, uh, with Nazis to get what they wanted, which was the state of Israel. Uh, can you hear me? I can't hear anyone that's why. Yep, we can hear you. Hello? Okay, okay. Yeah, so, so they were working together and the Zionists thought that what the Nazis were doing was perfectly fine in the sense that they knew that they had to give up some cash casualties because this was a war not for Jewish at the moment, but for for Jewish people in the future. So they saw themselves as playing a huge role in creating the state of Israel. So they wanted to work with they, they thought that Hitler's idea of simply removing Jewish people wasn't enough, but also that they gave they they scientists were pretty much the ones that gave Hitler can, the Nazis the idea of killing okay. Jewish people. Can you guys hear me now? Yeah, Sammy, I can hear you. Okay, go ahead, Jay. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no problem. So he the scientists gave the Nazis the idea of killing Jews. And the reason why Jewish Jewish people that were Zionists or just Zionists in general, because they they didn't necessarily had to be Jewish, believed that killing Jewish people by having Nazis kill the Jewish people that were all over Europe, it would cleanse Jewish people from intermarriages, from different religions. So they saw it as them cleaning out people and creating, and those that were actual Jewish people and Zionists were moved over to to Israel, to what is today, like, what liberals want to consider Israel and what the Zionists consider Israel. But and actually, it's Palestine. So that he pretty much goes throughout the history of that whole project and how why there's no contradictions in between Zionist supporting uh, the tactics that they are currently doing towards the Palestinian people because they agreed with the Nazis. They saw themselves as a different race from the Nazis and understood that they couldn't belong in Germany or any other country aside from what a state of Israel could be because they saw themselves in, in the biblical sense as creating the end of times and stuff like that. So, yeah, so I, I just wanted to point that out because I found it really interesting that I come out, uh, ran into this person and he was just talking about how there's so many connections between Zionists and the Nazis and how pretty much you can summarize what's going on right now and the tactics that the Zionists are using towards the Palestinian people by kind of like simply looking at the way that Nazis uh, pretty much carried out their their um, killings during that time. Do you want to say anything? Sorry. Sabi? Oh, sorry. Did you want to say anything? I can go on. I was gonna. Why. I was just gonna say that's that's really interesting. What was also crazy is that uh, when Marianne, that quote from Marianne about her praising uh, Herzl, that's insane. Yeah, uh, he was Nazi, then taken by the Israeli government, right, to work for them. Is that the guy? Hertz or no? Or am I thinking of something? He's the father yeah. of Zionism. Is that father of Zionism? Okay. Okay. Well. 
Yeah, so, um, yeah, so, I don't know, I found that really interesting, I don't know if you can cover the interview, I can give you the link right now, I can post it on the chat, so you can take a look and maybe um, cover it, at least a part of it, because it's kind of like two hours long, or an hour and, a, an hour and 20 minutes long, so. Um, and the other thing that I want to bring up, if I could, um, is, so, I think more people are starting to realize that a boycott towards Israel is necessary in order to, like, financially, like, you know, impact the economy. But I think what we also need to do is just crush the economy. Like, we really, like, we can't wait for the, another housing crisis to collapse the stock market. We, as individuals, need to create that collapse. And the way that I think that we can, we, we could do this is by not simply boycotting certain items that are sold or purchased or sent to Israel, but to s simply stop buying anything that's not necessary. And by not necessary, we can simply look at places that were open during COVID that were considered necessary. Stuff like that, we can keep in business and we can keep purchasing those items, but everything that's not necessary, we can boycott it. We can drive the economy to a standstill or run corporations like Apple, Microsoft to the ground. And the thing is that politicians and corporations love to use that to place fear on us, to tell us, hey, the economy is about to collapse. And this is because we gave you guys too much. We try to give you health care. We try to increase your social security. We try to increase rate wages, which is they don't, but they love to talk about it. And we gave uh, too many student loans, like forgiveness. So that's why the economy is going to crash. We should change the narrative. We should ch crash the economy, not because they want to benefit from it, but we, because we understand that we are the economy. There's no economy without us purchasing anything. So in order for us to get anything done and to actually make capitalism hurt, just like the U.S. puts sanctions on Russia, wants to place sanctions on China and so many other countries that do not do what the United States does, wants them to do, we can put our own sanctions on corporations. And these sanctions are going to be more impactful because we would only be purchasing stuff that's necessary for us to survive. Food, shelter, clothing, uh, educational stuff, uh, maybe going to work. But if you go to work, you got to make sure you, you don't go somewhere else that's not essential. Let them fire you. Let, let, let corporations fire you. Go on unemployment. And the more people we have that are running down this economy, we can actually change it. Because this system only works because they follow the money, like you say. If, if we don't get them where they really hurt, which is in the money, and where they make their profits from us, the system won't change. So, yeah, so that's, that was my idea, but, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud here. <laughs> Jay, I don't know if it's you or me, but you're coming in gar garbled. Is, is anyone Oh, else? sorry, sorry, Matt. I have some headphones right here. That's why and I'm not sure they kind of slipped a little bit. Can you hear me now? We I mean, hear you fine. It's just they're static. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, just the headphones. This is the first time calling and using these headphones with my computer. That's why. Sorry about that. Oh, oh no worries. Go ahead, Roger. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, here's the thing. 
you have to figure out, well, I kind of figured it out already, but you have to decide what you're going to do to uh, circumvent their circumvent. And they've circumvented American workers by going to cheap labor. There are three places where they get cheap labor. Migrants, which is the reason why both parties have no interest in actually really doing something about uh, the border. Two, inmates. Three, outsourcing to countries that have no labor laws. That's how they circumvented um, us in this, workers in this country. Okay. Right, right. I, I understand that. The thing is that even if they are able to produce things, right, with, by importing labor or by importing goods from other countries, there's no way they can make any money off of that if everybody decides not to purchase anything. It doesn't really matter whether or not they can get cheap, the cheapest labor, slave labor from prisoners, as, as long as nobody else is purchasing what they're producing. And even uh, we can probably create some kind of solidarity with prisoners as well. Like, that doesn't necessarily mean that they have to work, you know, because they're, they're, they're suffering inside. We are able to prevent them from working in the sense that we can, like, file petitions or, you know, file our own, like, local governments to not use, you know, prison labor. Okay. I mean, I guess that's, that's, that's um, one way. Another way is, and we, like you were saying that we own the economy. We don't own it until we actually own it. And the only way really to own it is through worker cooperatives. We're more or less like subjected to it. You feel what I'm saying? We, we really don't have any ownership over this economy. Okay. But we can have a lot of influence over how the economy grows. They always talk about how the economy needs to grow by five, ten percent or whatever, and how their targets are like at least a three or four percent every uh, quarter or whatever. But if we are the we are purchasing power comes through us, at least in our economy, right? Uh, we can't do much. Well, I guess we could do also by impacting other countries that import our products because if we're no longer producing, right? Yeah, but what I, but what I want you to look at is you're looking at it from a consumer basis. And that is the path that they put us on. That's how they were able to break up the work. That's one of the techniques that they used to break up the worker coalition in the 70s that was that was building since, you know, before FDR and, you know, 40 years or whatever the case is. When you got people focused on uh, purchasing, then what happens is it, it breaks up the workers solidarity. Okay. So right, right. like I said, you have to stop thinking, we have to stop thinking of ourselves as consumers and start thinking of ourselves as owners, okay? And actually forming worker cooperatives where, where we own it. Now, um, Sabrina, JB came up, he was, JB came up with, a, with an idea on, on his show. He was kind of, he, he was kind of like, guys shy about it because it was like a new idea whatever the case is but he was like maybe we might have to do this right but i want to really say it loud and say it um we might need to make the existence of shareholder companies unconstitutional and if we have to do it state by state through ballot measure 
then through an amendment through ballot measure, then that's something that we should consider to pursue. Because a lot of times, yeah, corporations are bad, but what's worse than a corporation is a corporation that's publicly traded and shareholder owned. And we should say that if you want to own a piece of a company, then you got to work there, AKA a cooperative. You feel what I'm saying? So right. we have to have start having out the box thinking and going beyond just, you know, consumer power. But actually, I mean, think about this for a second. Has anybody ever called out these bums who came up with the idea of shipping? Um, next time you talk to somebody who makes this old argument about, well, we have to manufacture things outside the country. This is how they were able to get the get us to be consumers and break up the worker solidarity. Oh, we have to make things outside the country so it'll be cheaper. Next time they say that bullshit to you, pull out, pull your cell phone out your pocket and say, how much did you pay for this thing? Shouldn't I be paying like $10 for this, according to your argument? I mean, how much, how much are we paying for these, for these smartphones? $1,000, $900? I thought the ship's supposed to be cheap. You feel what I'm saying? So, you know, that's just something to really think about or whatever the case is. But we have to start seizing, owning, running the means of production distribution, manufacturing, uh, supply chains, exchange and resources in this country, okay? And you, th there's a few ballot measures that I already have written down that, that you can do. Um, like one of the things, like I was talking about with um, prisoners, right? If you said the prison, prisoners have to get paid the same minimum wage as everybody else outside. So this way they can't run over there. And because I remember like Sabrina, JB was doing a show yesterday and he was talking about like Wendy's burgers are made at, at uh, prisons. And he was talking, I mean, I kind of like knew this stuff already, but he was kind of like really going deep into it about all of these things that are made in prisons. And he was like, yeah, that too, that too, you know, you know, the going all the old days of license plates. Hey, Roger. Hey, Roger. This is, this is Eric, the ad kid. How would you do that? Which you're how would I do what? What you're proposing would require you'd have to have a marketing plan in a, in a way to get enough support from the population at a, in one state. Let's just say, pick the state that you want to do this in, because they would go after you know the 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 fact that you want to do away with having shareholders own a piece of a company, right? So in order for that to happen, you'd have to have the psyche of the people in that state really look at it from your perspective, right? So in order to do that, you'd really have to get out and do some marketing, educating of people across that state to get enough people to, you know, to, to vote for that. So you'd have to have a comprehensive, you'd have to have a plan from the ground level to get people to win them over in any state, you know, whatever state you want to pick. It, it would really- I have that. Okay. How would you do that? Well, the first thing that you have to have is public financing of ballot measures, okay? Because a lot of times I can say to you, hey, we're trying to get this, this uh, single-payer health care ballot initiative. But then you go, oh, I have to work. <laughs> you know, I, I, can't, I, wanna, I can't dedicate as much time to it as I would like to. But, but if I... If we set it up 
to where the government subsidizes it um, a minimum of $200 a day, okay? Depending on, that's the absolute lowest you'll get paid. Everything else depends on um, the, the the matching funds, you know, the, the, the public financing, okay? And you work seven days, you know, six hours a day, seven days, you got $1,400. Takeaway tax, you probably got $1,100, right? That can help to mobilize people. That would get, I'm talking about financially incentivizing people to run initiatives, getting an army. You feel what I'm saying? Sometimes you could have something that goes. That's one of the things that's missing in all of these citizen ballot initiative states is it's not that people don't want it. It's just that financially they, they need, um, you know, you know, they need to get paid. People got to so, pay bills. So you, you would put that, which you're proposing the means to do this is to, I guess, put, put a means of, of economically making it feasible for people to, 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 in a sense, fight for this cause. Right, yeah. You, you, you got to put some carrots out there. You know what I'm saying? You got to put, you know what I'm saying? Like, yo, you know, look, check it out. Our lawmakers get paid for passing laws, right? right. Our lawmakers get paid for passing amendments, right? Okay, well, why not us? Citizen point. lawmakers, citizen constitutional amenders. I love that. You feel what I'm saying? If they could get paid off of tax dollars, we can, should, should get, be able to get paid off of tax dollars. So that, you know, like the little, what you just told me in less than 60 seconds, mm-hmm. that's, that's how you would get it. You know, what you're proposing to, to get people behind it, to get people to work behind it. I love that idea because it, then it brings it back to, okay, we could do this if, to your point, you know, getting two hundred dollars a day, I can see minimum, many, minimum. Many, yeah, I I could see an army of people getting behind it. Yeah, if we could I do would, it, yes, I I, I, would, I love that idea. I would march into every hood, every project, every. I, I might stay away from the rural areas. I, you know, I'm I'm black. I might get shot or something. But I'd march. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'd be like, yeah. yo, man, yo, come over here. Yo, you want you want to make two hundred dollars a day? Yeah, ears, ears autom- rabbit ears automatically perk up. Doing yeah. what? Yeah, boom. Don't worry, it's legal. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how, how do you feel about? What do you know about about a, a citizen ballot initiative? Is let me explain it to you. Now, this is what we're trying to run. You look like you use some healthcare. Boom, boom, boom. Whatever the case is, you feel what I'm saying. So that's yeah. like the first thing. The second thing is, I would make sure that there is what time benefits the grassroots the most. Okay, time. Because time allows the grassroots to build momentum. Some states like Arizona give you 18 months to collect signatures. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you can apply like the day after the November election, but then the, 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 you know, you apply to the state secretary of state or attorney general, whatever the case is. And then you start collecting signatures in, in January. Mm -hmm. And then the signature collection stops two Junes from that January because that's the deadline. So if January of an odd-numbered year, then... Oh, oh, what, what was that? What was that? Sorry, sorry, sorry. I was talking to somebody else. Sorry. Give me a second. Oh. 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 Okay. No, I, I, I really love this, you know, because I wanted to challenge what you were saying, but I love your concept because it, have, it has behind it the, two, you know, the, 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 the process and sort of like, like it makes sense. Yeah. I, I really like mm-hmm. it. So, so, so here's the fourth, here's the, so that's the second thing, a big, gigantic time frame to collect these signatures. Mm-hmm. That's something that California is missing because they only get, they give them like six months 
Like what type of bullshit? You know how big California is? It, there should be a ballot initiative by citizens to change that and extend it to 18 months. But anyway, so so not only will that, oh, and if you're wondering about, let's say about, hey, how do you handle the human resources in terms of people getting their paychecks and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. you can either, if you know, if you, if you, if you know somebody that knows how to, that ever worked in HR, whatever the case is, you can do it in-house or you can probably outsource it to a company like um, ADP, Automatic Data Processing. They mm-hmm. usually like, I'm pretty sure everyone heard, heard about, knows what ADP is. They usually handle people's paychecks and things of that matter. Although yeah. they might charge, you know, they got a reputation, so they might charge, you know, a bit. So you might want to go to a, a lower competitor or whatever the case is. Okay. And I'm- no, that's great. And I, I'm sorry if I cut Jay. I don't know who's talking. I'm sorry. Oh. I apologize. Oh, 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 oh. Um, yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Who was uh, speaking at this point? Uh, I think it was Jay. If you're done, let me know and yeah. I'll go ahead and bring in Travers because yeah, that was it. Okay. All right. Great. Um, Travers, what's going on? You're on the mic. You just have to hit the unmute button. Hey, Sabi, can you hear me okay? I can hear you. What's up? I can up? hear you. What's up? Okay, is it crackling or anything? Because it normally, uh, it, no, well, normally no. has a bad reception. Oh, it's, oh, it's good. Excellent. Hi. Um, yeah, I was, well, there's a lot of things I could talk about. You've had, uh, you've had a lot of interesting discussions tonight. Um, but there were two I kind of wanted just to mention. Um, I've been paying a lot of attention, obviously, as everyone has, to the um, to the situation in Gaza. And one thing which kind of struck me, the first thing everyone was saying in Europe, in America, eh, well, in the English-speaking Western countries anyway it was, first words out of their mouth, Israel has a right to defend itself. And to me that, you know, um, that seemed kind of obvious. Well, doesn't everyone have a right to defend itself? But then they kept repeating it. And that's normally a sign that there's something wrong with this statement. And I, I couldn't figure out what, because it, it, seems, it seems pretty obvious really, you know, the right to self-defense. And the United States uh, guy in the State Department resigned, um, who sells arms. And I was listening to an interview with him, I think on Katie Halper. And he mentioned something which was interesting, which kind of made sense. America doesn't have the right to sell arms to countries unless it is for self-defense. So repeating that phrase over and over again is priming everybody to think that the arms are not for aggressive purposes, which allows the State Department to sell them. Like I said, this guy resigned, you know. Then, uh, maybe a week or so later, another interesting interview. And these are the only two times it came up. And it's not covered by any talking points, by any 
media that have come across, any independent media that have come across, the mainstream media won't touch this with a barge pole. They'll just go, oh, right to defend itself, brainwash everyone. And the United Nations legal um, head of, oh, I don't know the title, but he's a genocide lawyer, the head genocide lawyer for the United Nations. Um, he resigned um, because of this as well. And that's gotten, I don't know if that even co- got covered in the mainstream media very much. If so, it would be a five-minute segment somewhere. But he resigned. And in his interview, and I think it was probably on Katie Helper again, um, he mentioned something which never even occurred to me. Under international law, occupying force does not have the right of self-defense legally so mm-hmm. if you by territory you do not legally have the right of self-defense and the occupied people nation country whatever you want to call them have the right to self-defense and the right of um, what's it? A resistance. That's the word I'm looking for. That blew my mind because but every see, this is. But see, this, this is, is why. See, this is why. Oh, you have an echo. Can you mute for oh, just you have a an second? Echo. Can you mute for just a? This is why the Zionist talking point continues to say they're not an occupy. They're not occupying. This is why, see guys, this is what I was trying to tell you about, even with RFK. This is why people like RFK are saying that Gaza is not under occupation because they know what he, you just said. Guys, RFK Jr. is a lawyer. You mean to tell me you don't think he, he never looked into this? They know. Go ahead, Travers, just unmute. Yeah, so basically, just got to uh, hit the, uh, there you go. There you go. Yeah, sorry. I, uh, I know this phone echoes a wee bit from time to time. But, um, yeah, basically, the reason why everyone, then I figured out the reason why everyone keeps saying Israel have a right to self-defense is, one, America needs it so they can sell arms with, I'll say, clean-ish conscience, but it's not really clean. And, two... <laughs> Under international law, which nobody's fucking following anyway, um, Israel act in this instance. If now, if they'd attacked Tel Aviv or somewhere like that, yes, they do. But if they're attacking an occupied settlement, then they don't. Which you know, so that's one point I wanted to bring up to the listeners, so that uh, it's. There are two points I wouldn't mind hearing more on on, on um, independent media because, like I said, that's the, coming from the head of the UN genocide lawyer department. I can't remember. You can, you'll find him. Um, he resigned about a month ago, and the uh, U.S. State Department guy in charge of selling arms. Um, I don't know his title either. So that, anyway, that's one point I wanted to bring up. The other one was with regards to uh, RFK, because um, I'm a big fan of history. Um, I've read a lot on, well, 
most history, know a lot about World War Two, blah blah blah, etc. Um, and one thing which always fascinated me and still does is turning points, turning points in history when things change. And I've been trying to figure out for years uh, when America turned, when it. Uh, there are a couple of turning points along the way, but one is when it stopped being what we'd consider a democracy. And as near as I figured, at the moment anyway, it's probably when John F. Kennedy was killed. Because up to that, well, up to that point, you had uh, the guy, I think it was Eisenhower beforehand, saying that... Um, warning Americans of the uh, military-industrial complex, which is now a buzzword, everyone uses it. But Kennedy was trying to, um, he wanted to break up the CIA, he wanted to cut back in the military a lot, he didn't want a war in Vietnam. And he made an amazing speech where he mentioned Pax Americana. And if you look up that speech, you'll find it online, you'll find audio of it. It is a speech of a democratic leader and a world leader. And it's probably the last one that came out of America because the rest of them are just platitudes pretty much. After that, you had Johnson, Lyndon Johnson, Durasto, and they were all bought off or owned, not, not bought off in a financial way, but they were owned by different parts of, uh, parts of the government, etc or special interests, we'll call them. And why I think RFK is still resonating is because a lot of people still remember that. Or if they don't remember, if they weren't alive at the time, and I certainly wasn't, I know the speeches. And there are very few great speeches, great orators that came out of America. JFK was one, the other one, by a large margin, was um, uh, Lincoln. And, I mean, there are speeches that will curl your toes if you listen to them. Um, FDR, his fireside chats, um, some of them are just amazing. Most of them in the last 30, 40 years have just been platitudes to the times, you know? No timeless speeches. RFKs, I don't think it was his last speech, Pax Americana speech changed Russia's view on its um, on its uh, approach to America. Khrushchev listened to that speech and called him shortly afterwards and then started changing how Russia reacted to America. That, you know, you don't have world le Well, America doesn't have le hasn't had leaders like that since. So, anyway, thoughts? I'll mute. There's, there's, there's a, a lot to be said there. Um, you know, what changed after some of those leaders, right? Like, one of the things that I've, I've always said is that PACs and super PACs changed a lot of things in electoral politics. That's part of the reason why, you know, a lot of people like to quote JFK, but one of the things that people 
leave out is the fact that you have to remember when JFK was president, that was like before political action committees. That was before super PACs. Things were different back then. Once corporate money got involved in electoral politics, particularly on the national level, that changed the game. That changed the game. Ralph Nader talked about this before, how he was able to fight back against GM. He said it was easier to do so back then because, again, there were no political action committees. So it's a lot harder now, right? So like even like FDR, when FDR was president, there were no PACs. Go ahead. Um, I think it's interesting, but when Travers speaks about when the the inflection point where America changed and lost some of its democratic approach. But when you really look across the arc of time, it was never really there. When you go back to the founding, this nation has always been a, you know, settler colonialist project. So the energy, the um, ideology of what was going on was exactly what it is today. What we have seen in the latter half of the 20th century is what appears to be an escalation as the money consolidated and translated into power. But when you go back to the founding documents, as they wrestle with concepts of freedom and voting and this and that, how can you establish a real democracy right beside slavery where only the land owning white men were the ones originally set up to vote. So that's not a, you know, so they were talking about democratic principles, but even then at the discourse, they were not able to come to terms and create a real democracy. And so often I refer to this place as a plantation nation because that paradigm has been with us from the beginning. The- you know what, um, Noel? I meant to tell you, you got other people saying that now. Let me see. You have other people saying plantation what? nation now. You have me saying that now. I'm not kidding. I'm not Girl, kidding. Girl, you gotta hush yes, my you- mouth. No, I'm serious. You have other people saying that now. Like Thank- other people have said this to me in conversation. They say, as Noel says, it's a plantation nation. But, you know, it's so funny because I don't really participate on other types of social media. I mean, I'm on um, Facebook, but this is it, Facebook and YouTube. So I don't know. But I have used the the phraseology consistently and people it seems to resonate. But when you think about it, it's true. And so when you look across the entire arc of this nation's history, that concept of the elite land owning people at the top being able to prosper through the exploitation and at the expense of the masses. I mean, it it made a type of sense during the times when we had an agrarian economy where labor was, you know, important and you needed more bodies to do it before the Industrial Revolution. But this nation has always wrestled with that. And at every turn, we have this nation as a collective has always made the decisions that edified the elite at the top at the expense of the masses at the bottom. And it has never been. And that's why I said at the opening of the um, discourse tonight, you know, I've just come to the conclusion, you know, first of all, 
that capitalism kills, but capitalism will always subvert any type of de democratic principles because it will eventually allow for the consolidation of power that subverts the voice of the many in terms of the one vote. So to Travis's point, I don't think we've ever had a point where we lost it because it was never there. And what we've seen, like I said, in the latter half of the 21st century and up until the first quarter of the 21st century is an escalation as the the ravages of capitalism have gone predatory and extended into the global marketplace, that that toxicity that it brings of exploitation has turned the you know our military into scouts to hunt out resources. That's what all these wars are about. Ultimately, it is about gaining access to resources and moving from there. And I just think this is the way that thing goes. And so we really need to have a real confrontation and national discourse around the concepts of capitalism because it just, it it is not designed to work for the many, but the few. Mm. Okay. Well said, Noel. Anything else? Anything else, Travers? Yeah, I, I, Noel, thank you for that. Um, about 80% of that, I'd, I'd go along with you. I wouldn't go along with 20%, but I suppose the main one would be, I know if, if you want to focus on the slavery thing, it becomes a whole different conversation. But every society has gone through exactly this, well, I should say every empire has gone through the exact same thing that America has. Same with the Roman Empire. At the beginning, um, there was, in effect, freedom in the Roman Empire. You got to vote, etc. Now, you wouldn't, Sabi wouldn't, because you're women, which was, un of course, normal at the time. But they still would have considered themselves democratic nations, as would all the rest of them in the world, which had exactly the same rules. Unless you're in Scotland in the time of the Picts. They were a matriarchal society, the only one. Um, crap. <laughs> I've lost my point. Two seconds. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, um, after the founding of the U.S., white landowners or mulatto in certain parts, had the right, you know, they had, this was it, this was the point. Um, it wasn't militaristic society, okay? Um, you had the right to bear arms as a militia, blah, 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 well-trained militia, all that. But the society wasn't based around the military. The Roman Empire at the beginning wasn't either. They would be called up in times of need, as they were in America. However, World War II, of course, got America out of the uh, Great Depression. The economy turned into a massive war economy. And after that, that's what Eisenhower meant when he said, be careful of the, um, of the military industrial complex, because the society was gearing completely around war, which then was taking freedom away from the people to declare, to, 
declare war for the nation rather than war being declared for the nation as you're living in now. And as you can see with all the military spending, with all Congress no longer declaring war, it being done by the president, all of which the Roman Empire went through too. That was Caesar's, that was the end, that was um, Julius Caesar. The end of the empire became a dictatorship, basically, for the last couple of centuries, um, which is pretty much the arc America's kind of going through. And um, so I, I, as I would see it at the beginning, America did have freedom. No, you didn't. Um, women didn't. They didn't have the right to vote. Blacks were slaves for the most part. But, of the, you know. but I mean, listen to what you are saying. You are saying to me, you you have this concept of America save for the slaves. So if you're going to talk about talk America, about America I think that was rappers. Go ahead, Noel. If you're going to talk about America and make these exclusions and exceptions for slavery, then you're really not talking about America because slavery has existed almost for the entire time. And so are you talking about America as a democratic project for white people? Because and then you say, well, but if you talk about it from a black perspective or women, of course, you know, you couldn't vote because you were a slave in this. Net. But that foundation in slavery is what made this nation possible in terms of the economic behemoth that it has become. And so as and even when you go back and look towards the, you know, um, well, our militia and this and that. If you go back and examine the history, a lot of that had to do with putting down slave rebellions. So there was, and at a certain point, there were in some states more black slaves than there were people in terms of white people to own and, and rule and reign. So if you're gonna have a real discussion about what America really is, you can exclude it and deal with it with slavery as like a, a, um, a feature that happened or this, that, and a third. Unlike some of the other empires that you mentioned, this nation was built from the beginning out of slavery. And because this slavery was rooted in a construct of race where, you know, skin color was used as the proxy, there was never any uh, opportunity for those people who were formerly or who were enslaved to eventually become a part of the culture. When you dealt with other empires as they subdued other nations of, of white people and this, that, and a third, those people eventually were able to move through the society. But when you made it based on color as a proxy for ethnicity and the construct of race, then you set a whole nother set of wheels and motions. And to this day, black people still don't occupy the same equal rights in terms of our white counterparts. And so when you talk about America, it, it, it is very interesting to me as a former, as a descendant of slave, that we can talk about America being this, that, and a third, oh yeah, but then slavery when slavery was the thing that made it all possible because without 200 plus years of free labor, 
this nation does not exist as we know it. And that's just the truth. So if you can call it or suggest that there was some level of a democracy, this and that, when you know that all of those people were enslaved and not able to vote and not able to participate, to me, that makes the reality it was not a democracy. And to compare it to other empires does not legitimize it. So until we're able to really look at it and call it exactly what it was, which is a settler colonialist project, we'll never see it for what it is today, which is a settler colonialist project. Well, thank you, Noel. That's that's exactly what I was wanting to talk about is is throwing around the label of democracy when it's not deserved. Mm. In my mind, if you wanna if you wanna characterize yourself as democracy, you have to have universal suffrage. And you have to preserve one person, one vote. You have to be representative. And the United States has never met that standard. Not, not even from, you know, preconception has the United States uh, ever met that metric or that standard. And I, I don't know what we do. I don't know how we reproach or address when we call places like Ukraine and Israel a democracy. I mean, what what do we do when we're calling Ukraine that, you know, has suspended elections, uh, you know, outlawed, you know, churches, uh, Orthodox churches, uh, how do we, how do we let them get away with calling that a democracy? And how do we let Israel get away with calling themselves a democracy when they've had occupied territories in Gaza and the West Strip for 60 plus years now? Uh, the population of God, uh, the West Bank is seven something million, uh, 2.3 million in the Gaza Strip, and it's about 14 million throughout the rest of Israel. So how, how do we let them get away? They're, they're no longer occupying those things after 60 years. It's part of the state of Israel, and they have no rights. So I really look forward to your interview with Norman Finkelstein. He's one of the only people that really makes sense to me right now. But I, I think it's it's criminal for anybody to call the United States a democracy at this point. Ukraine a democracy or Israel a democracy. Mm. And to your point, Maria, it everything everything emerges from narrative. So it goes unsaid that if you start off with the wrong foot in terms of a narrative, you're never going to get to the right place. Mm. 
which is why to Travers point when they say when they say, oh, Israel has the right to defend itself. That is to prevent you from considering the fact that it doesn't, because that way you would begin to question the legitimacy. So they started off saying, oh, Israel has a right to defend itself. That's to prevent you from questioning whether it does have the right. So if you start from that perspective, you know, then everything they do takes on a different type of legitimacy. If you suggest that Hamas is this terrorist organization and this and that, then Israel hides behind that and justifies genocidal efforts. But at some point, you have to get those narratives correct. And if you start on the correct place, then you have a chance of getting to a better place. But in this country, we don't. In Israel, you won't. And in Ukraine, you won't because we're starting the narratives from the wrong point with the wrong definitions and you can never get to the right remedy. Uh, that that kind of hurts my heart, but I know you're, I know you're right, Noel. It's just the Hamas president presence is estimated at about 40,000. And the accusations that, you know, the rest of the 2.25 million citizens of residents of Gaza are non-Hamas, that they're using, 40,000 people are using 2.25 million people as human shields. Uh, excuse me. Uh, that, that makes it the, just the ratio of that. They're automatically human shields. Whether they want, want to be or not, they're, they're just there live, trying to live their lives. That, that ratio is very scary. And to justify anything, well, they're using human shields. Uh, uh yeah that that's because that's all there is there is basically civilians that's practically all there is it it just scares me it scares me a lot and it scares me a lot that people aren't willing to confront the narrative that these places are not democracies and we're defending them on the basis that they are. And it's, it's so wrong. If I, I just want to, I wanted to touch Maria and I think Noel talked about the narrative. And I think one of the early callers was talking about or mentioned Vietnam. And, and I wanted to just share that, you know, after the Vietnam war is basically when the, the mainstream media and also the government learned here in the U.S. that Controlling the narrative was going to be very important. Controlling the pictures and the videos. Uh, during Vietnam, you would see caskets coming off the planes. Uh, you would have reporters from uh, various uh, newspapers and, and news channels uh, insert themselves in the field so that the stories could be told uh, closer to what was happening. And it was because of those stories, because of those pictures with the draft and with the images that were coming across, the, that the, the U.S. was getting bombarded, and especially the young 
generations of, of that time that you saw a shift happen. And it was because of that war that both the newspapers, the mainstream media changed and said, hey, we're not going to allow these images to come across. And, and that's why since then, you haven't seen what we used to get or what used to happen during Vietnam. And the narrative got completely controlled. And today, just to post that to today's, uh, you know, what we're seeing on Instagram, the, 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 the social networks, it's basically that's what's been happening. And the government's going to have is and it's going to try to figure out a way to control the narrative, because even right now, you know, I only use Instagram. I don't have Facebook. I don't have Twitter. But even on Instagram, they are shadow banning. They are controlling. I, you know, if I put a comment that's pro-Palestinian, they will essentially, if I make so many comments on a, say, on a day or so many hours, they they basically block my usage on Instagram for like a day or two. Now it's actually getting longer. I think to the, this week they blocked me almost a whole week. So just to, I just wanted to share that this, this you know, kind of tell you guys that this goes back to Vietnam and how things sort of evolved from there to today, the way that the narrative is being controlled. That's a really good point there, Eric. Really good point. Um, I do have to head out in about 15 minutes, so I want to make sure I get to Melissa and be easy as well. Okay. Uh, can you remind me again when you're going to air your interview with Norman Finkelstein? Uh, it will premiere, yeah, it will premiere uh, Saturday, which is actually today. Uh, it'll premiere today, uh, I think probably around um, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Okay, well, I look forward to that, and thank you so much for doing that. Uh, you're two of the most trusted voices that I can think of right now. So thank you, Savvy. Thank you. Okay, let's go ahead and bring in uh, Be Easy. You are on the mic. I don't know what happened to Melissa. Maybe she had to go. What's going on, uh, Be Easy? You just have to hit the un... There you go. You found it. Okay, mic check. Could you hear me clearly? I can hear you. Okay, well, thank you for inviting me. I literally, I, I follow you on uh, YouTube, you and the RBN. So this is my first call in. You're the only person I've subscribed to. I just made this like however long you've been on the call. So uh, thank you for inviting me up. But I just, you know, I know you, I know, I think you're on the East Coast, so it's probably a little bit later for you. Uh, but I just want <laughs> to touch just on a couple things because I don't want to uh, revisit anything that anyone has already talked about. When we're talking about this specific conflict, especially when it comes to uh, the Israeli side of it. I'm here in the Bay Area, California, so it's a melting pot here. Afghanis, Pakistani, Palestinian people, uh, Jewish people, African people from everywhere. So I interact and associate with a lot of people. And from my observation, you know, anything that's pertaining to Black people, it could just be anything. If you say something, you know, it's woke, it's identity politics, you know, but with this conflict, has anyone invoked the identity politics argument? 
because Jewish is not a race, right? They have uh, most American Jews identify as white. This is not me just making it up. They identify as white, but there's many, uh, there's Palestinian Jews, there's black Jewish people, etc. So Jewish is not a race, but when we're talking about Jewish people in terms of this conflict, there is an underlining, underlying racial component to it that's supposed to not ever be spoken about, right? And no one calls it identity politics. No one calls it woke. They were railing against affirmative action and now there's a bunch of uh, programs that are specifically for Jewish people. And of course, you know, it's a specific complexion of Jewish people. So, uh, you know, I, I just kind of want to put that out there. I know you guys got to go, but if anybody else will want to chime in, like, why is no one calling this identity politics? And I'm not saying they should. Or, I, I'm, I'm kind of being a bit facetious. Uh, I, I, with that. I just um, I just have to add one thing. Like, it's also there are Jews like Katie Halper who get punished for have uh, a, a different ideology, honestly. So it's not really only color. Um, it's it's what your views are. It's what you stand for. It's because yeah. those those like Katie Halper isn't going to get those jobs from Planeteer that, you know, that CEO said are going to go to Jewish students from Harvard. Like those are going to go to Zionists. You see what I'm saying? But, but I, so there is but I think, um, a difference. I, I think what be easy is saying is why isn't this called out? And that's because the powers that be include the Zionists. They control, you know, many of the, of the, of the channels that are big, that have the biggest microphones. They control the narratives in Hollywood. They control the narratives in, in the big newspapers. The scientists are either owning these, these, these companies or they're at the very top. Or they could even be above them and calling the shots. Just like how they got that, uh, I think, the, the, the president of, of that university fired. Same thing. It's yeah, all because of these guys are scientists. Yeah, but those people, and those people would punish People like and, and go after Aaron Mate, who's Jewish, Max Blumenthal, who's Jewish, you know. So I'm just saying it's ideology. It's not religion. It's not skin color. It's more well, than that. You know, skin I, color I, does, I, is a factor it, it, as well. It, and it, I never it, said it was only skin color, but it is a factor. So that's kind of what I'm So that's what I'm saying to try to mitigate and say that it isn't a factor, just like you know, the Ethiopian Jews that were sterilized. Are we going to say that skin and race wasn't a factor with that? So I'm not saying it's the only factor. I'm saying it is a factor that people are very uh, hesitant to speak on. But for instance, when there's a uh, crime, people will say, stop, you know, we're all American. I don't see color. But as soon as the crime, what is the, as soon as there's a crime committed, what is the first thing people are clamoring to know what? What race was that person? But you just said, yep. don't make it about race. But as soon as there's a crime, you, you hear black on black crime. And this, uh, the Russian and Ukraine war, those are white people killing each other. That makes Chicago look like a daycare. But no one is using the term white on white crime, right? When Jewish people are sacrificing their own hostages, no one uses the term Jew on Jew crime. So that's what I'm trying to say is that people act like, hey, there's no racial component to it until it is. And then people are too afraid to speak of it. I understand that there are some people that, you know, they have a lot uh, on their plate that they would be um, 
risking to speak out about this, but there are some people that are supposed to be free, you know, free thinkers and freedom fighters, and they don't even bring up these simple points. And in terms of the Zionist point, uh, if you look at the founders of Zionists, they all, let's just say they were all non-Black, right? But I'm supposed to not uh, draw the connection or make an observation. I do understand that they attack ideology as well, but it's coupled with them uh, with them attacking people based on race and skin tone. But my overall thing was just pointing all of this according to, you know, the rhetoric that's out there. Um, even people like Jimmy Dore telling uh, Cornel West, hey, don't, don't talk about this because that's identity politics and you sound like a Democrat. Is anyone telling Bill Ackman that he sounds like a Democrat? Just saying. Ooh, that's that's a really good point there. Um, that's a really good point there, Be Easy. Bill Ackman has a lot of other issues. Like he he's all over the place. He's a hot mess. But and so yeah. I mean, I said I, I will say I did say I did push back on Jimmy. Like when when Jimmy made that comment, I did disagree with that. Like I disagreed. Like when we covered that on RBN, I said like, no, you can't, we see, I see the difference between the way that you treated RFK Jr. and the way that you treated Cornell West. That that was actually very apparent even this week, Savvy, when he was interviewing Tucker, when he talked, right. to, when he talks about Cornell, you could see this disdain look on Jimmy Dore's face when he talks about him. And actually, uh, just two quick points. I was kind of I was impressed with Tucker's takes. I, I don't, I'm not a Tucker you know follower, but I was very impressed with what he had to say. That was reasonable takes that I heard from him. Things that I would agree with. Also, I wanted to share with you know because Be Easy was talking about the you know kind of like this elephant in the room that we can't talk about, which is the Jewish community, um, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I hate saying that too. But uh, Abby Martin was saying that there are polls in Israel that that many of the people, if not the majority of the population in Israel, they're fascists. They are racist. We, yep. don't, talk, we don't talk about this because they are white. Because because if we say it, we are automatically anti-Semites. And I, you know, if, if the tables were turned, I would be against the Palestinians. But in this case, I am for the Palestinians because they are the ones being oppressed. And we can never say anything bad about Jewish people out in the open because you're automatically, oh, this guy's a racist. And that's not the case. But we can't talk about it. You, you see, anybody who talks about it is completely out of a job. They're uh, essentially a, a persona non grata. And that has to stop somehow we need to figure out a way for this to stop the more people that speak up about this the harder it will be for them to get all of us that's why it's very important for people that have big platforms like dj Khaled, who's a palestinian and hasn't said anything about this it's important for those people to speak up because they have an influence on people's psyche yeah dj Khaled isn't going to say anything because uh, JB and I revealed this on the JB and Savvy show. DJ Khaled is also a part of like the Zionist community. Like his his record, his label is under a Zionist label. Like the dudes, like like the dude that he's under is a rabid Zionist. That's that's why. So just let you guys know that's why DJ Khaled isn't saying anything. 
and, and we need Just to, we, we need to bring shame. You know, this is what what Abby Martin was saying. You know, the only way that that this is going to break is similar to South Africa. The the more uh, economic pressure that's put on Israel for not doing the right thing, and anybody who supports them, that's how this is going to break them economically. That's the way that we can get. At- yeah, I agree, and I'll just uh, go ahead and make my closing remarks. And I think uh, many of us, you know, we've been, I'm not saying anyone on this panel, when I say us, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Americans in the global community. Many of us have got what I say um, intellectually fragile, right? If you look at uh, Malcolm X, uh, James Baldwin, he was sitting in the presence of people that, completely despised him that that seen him as a inferior being and he's sitting there with his legs crossed speaking very astutely and eloquently and dismantling their points which is why you know he was um you know set up to be assassinated now we're in a point to where simple things simple phrases are being misconstrued as anti-semitism anti-zionism as a black person, I'm told that, hey, if you get caught, get called, you know, the N-word with a G-A, get over it. If you get called the N-word with an E-R, get over it. They have all sorts. They have a, 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 a dictionary of racial slurs. Who, what, what group of people do you think has the most racial slurs against them? Obviously black people. But, hey, you know what? We're just supposed to get over that. But then we have Jewish people and some Jewish people, um, not all, but the people that are coming before Congress are saying that, hey, they can't take someone saying a mean word to them. And that mean words are an interpretation. So you can't tell one group of people to have thick skin and get over the slurs. There's a Jewish slur that starts with a K and it rhymes with spike. If you call anyone that, that there's going to be no context to it. No one is going to say, hey, the Jewish people should get over it. They're going to say, hey, you are anti-Semitic. You should be canceled. Uh, you, your bank account should be stripped. So what I'm saying is I prefer that someone, if someone is going to be racist, I prefer that they're openly racist, right? Versus uh, Malcolm X talked about this too, the wolf in the fox, the Republicans being the wolf that are showing their fangs. The Democrats being the fox, cute, cuddly, gets next to you, but close enough to stab you in the back. I prefer people lead with the disdain and the racial animus so that I know who to avoid. Once we do that and people are not as fragile, people will speak more freely and will get out of this delusion that, oh, America is not a racist country. Yes, it is a racist country. It doesn't mean that every single citizen is racist, but we do need to have these discussions, we do need to analyze and um, examine things without being so fragile. If we, if black people are are supposed to just take the ER, hard ER and other racial epithets and get over it, then I think Jewish people could get over from the river to the sea, which is definitely, you know, um, within the uh, IDF's uh, manifesto as well. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I think this is a uh, great panel and uh, Savvy, you definitely rock. Thank you. Thank you so much. One thing I want to add to that really bothers me, and I used to hear this a lot when I lived in the South, is that people would say, 
black people need to get over slavery. Like we had to get over slavery, but there were literally people in the South, and this still happens, literally people in the South that freaking reenact the Civil War, right? Still talk about family members that they had that were a part of the Civil War, talk about Robert E. Lee, but we got to get over it. You will never hear someone say that to other groups. You will never, you don't hear people saying to Japanese Americans, get over the Japanese internment camps. They were paid cash reparations. You don't hear people, no one would ever tell Jewish people get over the Holocaust. So, so why is it when it comes to black people, we got to get over all the things we got to, we're supposed to get over slavery, uh, black wall streets being burned down. We're supposed to get over, um, Jim Crow. We're supposed to get over redlining. We're supposed to get over the drug war. We're supposed to get over the crime bills. We're supposed to get over everything. And that's the shit that pisses me off when it comes to other groups they're allowed to have that pass. And I, I've explained this before, and this is what I've been trying to tell people. We have to understand that when we look at the powers that be, this is what I was trying to explain to people. A lot of the billionaires are in bed with the Israeli lobby. A lot of the billionaires are Zionists. And that's why they, why do you guys think someone like Bill Ackman could have the pull that he did to write a letter and publicly smear these presidents, these university presidents on Twitter to, to, to try to get them removed. Next thing you know, they're sitting in front of Congress. None of us have that pull. And that's what I've been trying to explain to people. So the thing is, it's like when people say, this is the thing that really frustrates me. When people say, don't talk about identity politics, identity politics, the original definition of identity politics is when someone uses their identity in a political way. I just looked up the definition of, of identity politics. Britannica actually updated it on October 2023. That's this year, October 30th, 2023. They updated it to now include social. So you see what's happening? Why do you guys think all these billionaires on Twitter are saying we need to get rid of DEI? Don't get me wrong. There are problematic issues with DEI. But the reality is they're basically saying that, well, Jewish people are not included as a part of DEI. We got to understand is again, when you are white adjacent and you have white skin, you have certain privileges in this country that black people don't have. And we were never, we were never compensated for what happened to our people in this country till this day. But the moment, so we're supposed to, the U.S. government, it's okay for them to give all this money to Israel. It's okay for them to give $8.3 billion a year to Israel. But the moment you bring up cash reparations for African-American descendants of slavery in this country, that's divisive. Why is it not divisive when they do things for every other fucking group? And this is why I say, guys, you got to push back on it. You got to do it in a smart way. You can't do it the way that Kanye West did because then they're going to be like, you're anti-Semitic and then you're done. Mm -hmm. well, um, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, um, I, I just wanted to say this um, real quick. I, um, when you was doing your show, I said, let me go look at this interview. And I came back to your show to finish, to finish it out. Um, I just wanted to get this out real quick. Um, you know, he got on the ballot in Utah. Um, that's what he said on the interview. Um, he also said well, that what he would be in with the uh, Sager and uh, what's his ball. That's interesting because I just saw a piece 
yesterday morning saying that he was they were preventing him from getting on the ballot ballot in Utah. Oh. Okay, well maybe So he's saying two different things. Well maybe your thing is updated because um you said you just saw it and he and that interview was um Thursday. So you said you just saw something new today. So all right, so maybe you got the updated info. Um also I wish the woman who was uh interviewing Marion Williamson when she told her uh you should go to Israel that would have been something if she said okay cool I'll go to Israel if you're willing to go to Gaza okay so that's that's two uh he's but what's his name RFK said that he was he they was Saga asked him about free speech and social media and all that stuff so he said he wouldn't be interested in nationalizing social media or one of the social medias. So it, he was talking about putting on some regulations or whatever the case is. And he was making an excuse that, well, technology is updating so rapidly, the government would not be able to keep up with it. And that's really has more to do with will, if whether or not Congress has the will to do it. But the funniest thing is just the fact that he was going back and forth with 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 Crystal. And I just kept, the way I kept looking at it is, I think he wanted to say, why won't you believe my bullshit? Like, it seemed like that's what he was getting mad, mad at the most. Um, and just going back to what uh, Maria was saying about democracy. And I learned this from when you interviewed Cynthia McKinnon. The only real, the only country with a real democracy in this world is Switzerland. Because yep. if you, you remember what she said, right? About Switzerland? Yep. What's that? Uh, I forget. Remind <laughs> me. I remember her saying that, but I forget. They are a ballot initiative um, nation. That's right. That's right. I remember now. A, a democracy with no direct democracy is no democracy at all because it's because without direct democracy represent direct democracy makes representative democracy better and it's about who controls the government is it going to be the millionaires is it going to be the government itself the politicians itself or is it going to be us so you know that's just something to um uh, think about but oh yeah and the last thing about the slate when noel was talking about slavery um like i said earlier he still got slavery with the loophole of the 13th amendment with which is what i was talking about the inmates in terms yep. of we should have something that says no they have to get paid um the same thing like you raise the minimum wage on the outside and say they have to get paid a minimum wage also so this way it's like, oh, we can't go to prisoners to get to get our burgers made or whatever the case is. All right, that's it. Go ahead, Noel. Okay, Noel and then um T Jasmine and then I, I just wanted to speak to B Easy's point um and get it out of the way. A part of the thing we're dealing with in terms of race is that race is a social construct. And so in this country it was skin color that became the proxy for race, which meant that as this nation progressed and the other ethnicities 
came to this country, they were able to be made white. And that is whatever other identities they came with, their national identities, they were able to set those aside and become white, like the Irish became white. And so through that um, set of circumstances, black became the default floor of not only the economy, but of the society. And so in a way that is different from um, ethnicity proper, race became the um, non-identity, if you will. We always talk about how whiteness is the default identity in this country. And so whether you're um, Jewish ethnically or you're something else, as long as you can pass and be made white, then you're a part of that default. But skin color is something we can escape. And so the reason it is so difficult to deal with is when you began to talk about race in terms of deconstructing it, you deconstruct the whole society because everybody, you know, a lot of white people, especially the very poorest of them, their identity is not so much white as it is non-black. And so if you change that parameter and blackness does not equate to the bottom of the society, then people's identities within the society get all thrown off. And so it's like, well, who am I? What am I if, if these people aren't the very base of the whole structure, then who's at the bottom? And that's a large part of what goes on in terms of dealing with that construct and why this nation responds so viscerally to black people attempting to be a part of the whole system. And so they, you know, and, and they become lockstep. Everybody's against, you know, the programs that would include us. And so white women were the biggest beneficiaries of affirmative action. Everybody's against diversity and inclusion because that disturbs the order of the entire society. Okay. Are you hearing me? I hear you, T. Jasmine. Well said, Noel. What's up? Hi. Um, so I, I I just wanted to get on because I heard the Jimmy Dore, like Jimmy Dore's name was brought up, and I would like to to ask, why does he keep um attacking Cornell West? Like, what did Cornell West do to him that you know he brought on this Asian lady, and you know, yeah. I'm gonna be honest, Jimmy Dore is using people of color and black people to attack Cornel West. And I don't know why he's attacking him. He wants Cornel West, a person who went through the civil um, civil rights era, who was an activist, to pretend as if racism is a non-entity, a non-factor in United States of America, white, anti-black United States of America. I, I would like to know why he insists on attacking Cornell West in every. There's not because, a video because I'll I'll explain to you because apparently it it has been it was brought to my attention earlier on that he asked to help I guess with the campaign and either there wasn't a response or the response was no either way 
the response wasn't yes. And it can, I guess maybe he took that personally because they, they didn't know each, like they knew each other prior to um, Cornell West's presidential campaign. You got to remember uh, Cornell West was also a part of force to vote. Mm-hmm. So, but this is the thing. And I, I've, I've said this before and honestly, I've tried to be as polite and as nice as I can um, because I do know, you know, there are like like friends of mine that are, are closer um, to him. But one of the things that I, I have noticed over the years, it just seems like you're not allowed to disagree. Like you can't disagree like at all. Like it's like it, it's like you got to agree with everything that he says or does. And if you don't, then it's like, well, to hell with you. First of all, like me personally, and I've said this before on my show, I don't agree with anyone on everything. There are things that me and Roger don't agree on. And we still can obviously talk to each other. There are things that me and Eric don't agree on. There are things that me and, you know what I mean? Like I don't agree with anyone on everything, but it over the years, I have noticed that a lot of people have just have, have, have left and there have been conversations behind the scenes that I, I can't talk about everything on here, but there have been conversations mm-hmm. behind the scenes where a lot of people have left. And from what I have been, what I have been told by some of those people is they ran into that same situation where it's like, if you disagree, then you're, you're not, you're not a good person or whatever, or that kind of yeah. thing. So over to the be years, honest, if the, you guys... The, well, let me finish real quick. If over mm-hmm, years, mm-hmm. you guys have noticed, I was watching, someone sent me a video, because people send me videos all the time. Someone sent mm-hmm. me a video where um, it was from Force the Vote, like right before that town hall. And there was that big, um, I guess one of the big meetings where I think it was Kyle and Bree and all these different, all the different people mm-hmm. that were saying, we need to do this, right? And you know what I noticed when I looked at that screen? I was like, Wow, none of these people, none of these people talk to him anymore. And so at some point you have to ask yourself, is it everybody else? Or is, or is it, it him? Is it something that this person may be doing that is pushing people away? And I'm not perfect. I have my flaws. But one of the things that I've always said, regardless of what job you have or whatever you do, you have to be receptive to feedback and constructive criticism. Constructive criticism. That don't mean go around calling people names and shit, but con- constructive criticism. And I've had to deal with that through any job I've had. I've always had an annual review, regardless of what job I've had, right? And so it just seemed, from what I've seen from, I'll just say behind the scenes, it seems like you're not allowed to disagree. And for me, that's that's an issue because I don't agree with anyone on everything. And exactly. so that's a big part. Of, so I guess like from what I understand, the whole thing of not including um, him as part of the campaign was a problem. And um, I mean, honestly, me personally, if I'm friends with someone I wouldn't ask them to do business with with me 
and I give that advice to any of you listening, by the way, look, don't mix, don't mix family and business and don't mix friends and business. If you want to stay friends with your best friend, don't do business with them. I'm just telling you guys from experience, you want to stay friends, like with your family, try not to do business with them <laughs> because it's, it's a totally different ball game. And if shit gets fucked up on the business level, that can affect your personal relationship that you have with them. So for me personally, I can see why uh, Dr. West may have either not responded or the reason why he did not say yes, probably to maintain the relationship that they already have and not get into the, the business, the business stuff because business can get messy. And yes, the campaign is business. People can call whatever they want to. You can call it a movement. You can call it like organization, whatever. It's still business at the end of the day. You got to raise money for the campaign and you are running to get a political position. So there is business attached to it. So for me, like it's, it, it is, I've, I've noticed it. Like I haven't seen um, Jimmy live in a while. Like, cause I honestly, I've been taking a break from some independent media. Also, I don't usually get to watch people when they're live because I'm doing other things. Um, but it's just, again, like I said before, I've taken a break from some independent media because I feel like there aren't solutions being proposed. So this is why I try to give you guys some type of solution, something that you can do on your own. Look, I'm not a miracle worker. And we don't have control over the president of the United States, but RBN has been telling you guys since day one, hit the streets. And if you're going to vote, vote third party or independent. Also do mutual aid and organize within your community. We haven't changed that. Like we, cause we know that's what actually, we actually seen with the organizing. We've seen that actually work. We've seen that actually turn out real results, Right. But the problem I think is, is that a lot of us that have watched uh, the legacy left independent media for years, the solution that they gave you was to vote for a progressive candidate that was running through the Democratic Party. They never gave you next steps or anything else to do if that did not pan out. And that's why a lot of people are in a rut. And that's why some people, some viewers have completely turned away from independent media because after the Bernie campaigns, they felt like they had nowhere to go. So for those of us from RBN who were already, we were already activists, for us, we were like, let's show them what to do because we've been doing this stuff. Like I've been, I've been, the first time I actually became a volunteer was when I was in high school. So I've been, I've been doing this shit for years. And you do see real results. And that's why I've been trying to tell people, I'm not saying that every commentator has to do mutual aid. Not everybody is an activist. But I will say you need to give people other options because if you just get people riled up and cheer them on and get them hyped up to vote for a candidate to solve all their problems and that candidate doesn't win, when the election season is over, then where are those people supposed to turn to? Well, um, well, some, some, of, some of the, um, some of the, the independent media is not just only about voting, but also about highlighting and bringing news and highlighting the, the different issues going on. 
Um, my issue is that, and you're right, Jimmy Dore does not like um, people to disagree with him, but he needs to control himself. I've seen um, somebody yelling while he's doing a standard protein and he went on, he went off on the two women and it was a disgrace to me. And at the time I was watching and I, and I said, listen, you have to do better. And I think he had issued an, an apology after he saw some comments and, you know, some people in the comment section. Like that was disgraceful, the way he behaved towards those two women who, I don't know, they heckled him, but he went off um, and it was disgraceful, his behavior. So, you know, I don't know how um, Stephanie deals with it, but he needs to control himself because he's, he's, he's an exhausting person. Um, I will say like, you know, I think a lot of us are just angry and frustrated, right? But I think the thing is, is that it's one thing to like you want you want your viewers to say fuck this shit right like like we we want them to realize the system is fucked but also you have to lead them somewhere else because if if you just continue and I, this is not just a like just a jimmy thing like a lot of people do this if you just continue to piss them off but you don't give them any other goals or any other tools that they can use at their disposal, eventually people will get depressed and they will check out. Okay. And that's what happened to a lot of the Bernie, the Bernie supporters. After that, they were just like, well, there's nothing I can do now. So I'm just going to completely check out. Well, not, it's not just local United States viewers who you know view these shows because the issues are international whatever you, you you've seen um israel and palestine gaza what whatever happens in the united states affects people in other countries with them sending weapons and that sort of thing so people tune in not just to be led to um the ballot um um, um, um booth some people listen for informing themselves and making different kinds of decisions I'm just concerned that um, people are, 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 I'm just concerned about, to me, it's, it's, it's some kind of racism because he was being very disrespectful. He's always, it's just, he's constantly picking on West. Um, whether the issue is about him or not, he'll be talking so, about somebody completely different or something completely different. And all of a sudden I hear Colonel West's name bring up brought up and then do dissidents like some idiots are sitting there and adding their two cents to it that Asian woman she's just and, and they're all going in as if somehow Cornel West is this wealthy PMC in an ivory tower who's never experienced anything and he's in black skin let's be honest like just jump off the so man's Catherine, back please you talking about Catherine Liu so Catherine Liu just FYI we interviewed her on RBN, I, I want to say earlier this year, um, it was actually CJ and Nick interviewed her on RBN about the PMCs. And you guys know we talk about PMCs and stuff um, a lot on RBN. But I think that, um, I think we need to understand just because Cornell West is an academic doesn't mean Cornell West is rich. Exactly. So exactly. Just, just keep that at, like I, I say this as someone who worked at universities for a long time. And yes, there are some faculty members that are making a lot of money, 
But these people, unless they have another business venture, which some of the MIT professors do, they're a professor at MIT, but they also have their own business. Uh -huh. Other than that, if you're just teaching, you ain't if they have, if they have a best <laughs> or a bestseller book or something, you know, or a best a bestseller book. Yeah, but I mean, you you still like even we when went we went over the tax stuff and we went over the income stuff about Dr. West. It's not like they reported that Dr. West is a millionaire. No, so Savvy, I just want to remind everybody for context. Cornell West called out Obama when Obama was at, at its height, when he was really popular. And he did it by himself uh, with Tavis Smiley. Mm -hmm. they got Tavis, it's true. You know, they, they got Tavis. So the point in case is that Cornell has stood up to the to the highest power when he didn't need to do that. And he did it. And we must not forget that he did that. So to me, that's why I don't see, I, don't, I, I hate it when, when Jimmy Dore does that because he doesn't have the same, this, the same look on his face when he's talking about Cornell, when he's talking about RFK. And, right, and, and RFK is a racist. RFK is an anti-Palestinian racist. Let us be honest. Not, because not, just, not even just anti-Palestinian. I'm trying to tell you guys. There was a case, Eric, chime in if you remember, Martha Moxley, look it up, look it up, and you'll see the comments where R.K. Jr., during interviews, he claimed these black boys came from the city, and it's, it's not what he claimed happened. By the He's way, a liar. Police, police never confirmed this. It was the rhetoric that he used. It was the words that he used to describe the boys. They had to be black. They had to be from the city because they couldn't afford to live around here. You don't, like, he had no proof, you guys. Now, how is that, how is that so any difference? Now, listen to this. Listen to this real quick. How is that any different from what Donald Trump did when he smeared those those five black boys in reference to Central Park Five? That's true. It's one. It sounds. It sounds to me like one of those people who would would see uh, a black person walking in the community and say, "Hey, why are you here? You don't belong here." That sort of thing, like you see in Florida sometimes. It sounds like you'd be you'd approach someone, don't know if they live in the house or not, and say, "Hey, why are you here? You don't belong here. Get out of here." That sort of thing. That's uh, that's uh, how it's. It sounds like the guys who killed the guy who was running and, and looking. Martin. Right. Yeah, he's so the thing Jim is, Jasmine, when RFK Jr. made these statements, he had no proof. That's what I'm trying to tell you. The police did not make those statements. The detectives did not make those statements. This was RFK Jr. going is racist. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. This is what I've been trying to tell people. Racial profiling. Yeah. And, and it's not just him, it's the Kennedys. Okay, so Joseph Kennedy the third, similar thing. Joseph Kennedy III, he agreed with, being, with the police being able to stop and search vehicles for marijuana. He agreed with it. He was against legalizing marijuana in Massachusetts. And he said, because then police won't be able to pull over cars to search for marijuana. Joseph Kennedy III said that shit. It's on record. Is that the one with the... Uh... I don't know which one is Joseph Kennedy, to be honest. The one, the one with the red hair that don't look like them. Okay, got it. Also, oh. um, 
also uh, Jasmine. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't I wouldn't really get so much caught up in in these in these uh, YouTube host uh, personalities because sometimes but, when no, you know it's live I see him. But hold up, hold up, let me let me finish. Let me let me finish. There there are people that need our help. That's what we should be focusing on. Now here's the thing. I had replied to Jimmy, right, and and to call his bluff. He said, I don't know, he was talking about something or whatever the case was. And he said, nobody will do it. I'll do it. So I said, oh, okay, well, check this out. Well, you live, you're a millionaire, okay? You have a platform. You have a, a you do comedy tours, okay? So how about this? How about, and you live in a citizen ballot initiative state, Okay. So I wrote down a whole list of shit that he can do if he wants to leave. Okay. He never replied now. And I've done that on his show many times. Now, of course he runs out the room and leaves his wife to read the comments or whatever. Which personally, which is to me is disrespectful. I, I think that's disrespectful. Right. right, right. Cause people pay you to, so, so that on, to, to, to hear you, right, to right. talk to you. I, I, I agree, but, but let me let me just say this also, okay? So here's the thing. He's just talking shit, okay? That's all it is because the thing is, when it comes down to action, he ain't doing no action. He said he going to lead. I'll take the lead. Okay, I just gave him a foolproof plan of how he can lead and what he can do in his state. I did it soup to nuts, all of that. When I say that I'm deep in this and I'm serious about this, I'm serious as a heart attack, okay? I'm even, well, I think I told you whatever, but his wife told me to um, email her about, I showed him, I showed her like my plan or whatever the case is. And I said, this is what he could do. He can host a com, he loves doing his comedy tours. He could start, if he's serious about these policies, he could run a citizen ballot initiative as amendment. He got the money. He got the platform. He could do a, a comedy show, his tours, up and down the western seaboard trying to get cow care. That's the single-payer version of California. Okay? So I'm going to see what happens with that. Okay? I said, you could do a comedy tour up and down the western seaboard of your state, bring them initiatives into your clubs, and say, guys, we're trying to get cow care, single-payer health care, because the politicians are not going to do it. We just need you to sign those petitions in the back of the club, okay? So he likes to call people. When you call people out so much, eventually someone's going to call you out, okay? I don't really like calling people out. But when you keep opening up your mouth and saying you're calling this person, okay, someone's going to come for you, okay? So now I'm asking him to put his money where his mouth is. Okay, and every time I come, every time I answer him on Twitter, he's always silent. He won't fight with everybody else. Okay, so we'll see what happens. But like I said, he's a shit talk. Don't don't worry about him going after West and all that stuff. That's not even important. We got more important work to be doing. Right. Okay, and, and for and for I, I just want. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, and for um, neoliberal chairs, I agree with him. It's not about. Um, Jewishness per se. It's it's really about because there are a lot of anti 
anti-Israeli people. So I I think it's 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 really pro. I think it's really about being pro. Um, it's really about being pro um, against the people who are pro-Israeli, genocidal supporters. Yeah, and pro-genocide. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I was gonna say one one thing that I was reminded of is that there are more Christian Zionists in the world, and which America, pisses me off. Which is, which pisses me off because I'm 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 Christian. And when I see people who are just... It's not your fault. It's not you. You know, it's, you know, you're a good... It, it just, it, it pisses me off. Um, I have sent um, several, you know, that um, fellow um, on, on TBN, who the fat one from Texas, who is, he's been, he's been very anti-Palestinian for years now. What's his name again? Um, Hagen. I've been sending him... Um, Twitter, like I've been sending him videos of the things that he's supporting. And first of all, he doesn't know he shouldn't be supporting evil. And he's not Christian because first of all, Jesus was from Palestine initially. So, you know, but remember some Christians, some Christians are Zionists because they want the Jews to have the Holy Land space because when uh, Jesus comes back, they believe that the Jewish people will go to hell. See, this, but, is the, this is the part that people don't mention. For those, like, if you actually read the Bible, like, this is the part, the reason why there are some Christian Zionists is because they agree with Jewish people having that holy land because they feel like it is prophesied. But what the the piece that they leave out is that they believe that the Jewish people, when, when, the end when we hit to revelations and it's the end of the world, they believe that the Jewish people will go to hell. That's no, the then, no then there's Jesus a lot of different, different terms. I've never heard that interpretation, but there's a whole bunch of different interpretations. Um, to be honest, um, I've never I've followed that, it I've because heard that, I've heard I've that my entire life growing up in church, okay. that the only people that would be saved are people who are Christians and and the reason being is because they would always bring up you know we celebrated easter they would always bring up the fact that in christianity we believe that jesus already came back but in judaism the belief is that jesus has not come back so see this is the, that's that's the piece i was trying to get people to understand when people say oh, like, that they're still waiting for the messiah that's yeah. right and that's the so, piece that you say why are there Christian Zionists? And I'm like, because if you read the Bible, the Bible tells you that at least the, let me be clear, because there's multiple different texts. If you read the New Testament and you go all the way into Revelations, it explains to you that basically the Christians, these are the people that are supposed to be saved. Now, everybody's books say they're going to be mm -hmm. saved. That's the point I'm trying no, to get No, no, that doesn't explain so, that to you. It's very, it's, 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 it's about a dream that's being interpreted very, there various different ways. It doesn't say anything about Christians. In fact, the New Testament says nothing about Christians as a word, Christians. It says we go this way and they, and because they use the word Jesus Christ, people call themselves eventually Christians. So there's, it's just, it's, it's terms of right, the way. But, but the point that the point that I'm trying to make, it's, 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 it's there interpretation. Are there are different it's, religious groups 
in every group, if you talk to them, their text says they are the ones who will be saved. That's the point I'm trying to get across. So like if you talk to people who have read the Quran, the Quran says something very different than what the King James version of the Bible says. But every group, just the same There's thing. Like, with, I with, think it's um, the common denominator is, I think it's Judgment Day, right? Right. Um, in the Quran, that's, there's a judgment day in the Quran, but, and I think in, yeah, in Christian. No, well, okay. Let me, let me just, let me just, um, say what I have to say as a person who actually read, um, the revelations. Revelations is a dream, right? It's, it's a dream of the future. And there is Armageddon. Let's be honest. Right now in Palestine, there is Armageddon. There are people who are being slaughtered left, right, and center. And there's helicopters, and that was also predicted. It's sort of like um, uh, it was it was described. Of course, it's more than two thousand years ago, so nobody had an idea what helicopters would look like. So it's described as wasps with men, with men with with um hats on, hard hats on. And it's like wasps flying. So, you know, they were really describing helicopters and, and different sort of like, how can somebody from way back then see into the future? And yet they, they figured out a way how to describe what they were seeing. So that's the sort of thing that is literally happening now. But a lot of it that you hear a lot of these Southern pastors or these American pastors saying it's up to their own interpretation. And that's because these are the things that they thrive on. It's nothing about, it's, it's, it's like they've built their entire um, thing around the judgment day and that sort of thing. Um, I remember the first time I saw some people come to Jamaica and well, I was a child back then and they had this huge screen and they were um, showing judgment day with rocks and fiery rocks falling of course they were from america some american white christians and this is you can't take them seriously because but the american but the american they don't know what Christian, they're talking about with the american but they will tell you the same thing that's the the point i'm trying to get across is that everybody every group when you talk to every religious group they believe that their text is the correct and they're going to be the ones that are going to be saved in the end. And they believe that they're correct and you're not. And the, the point that I try to get across when people say that Israel has a right to exist because they're supposed to have the Holy Land. I always remind people religion is a belief. It's a belief. And people who are religious, there are different religions and different religions have different beliefs. So why is it? that one group their religion is designated to be true when it comes to law and space and property in the world when nobody else has that okay so i'll, I'll explain um judeo-christian uh, the whole the, the whole thing was founded on um Abraham had well Moses actually came from really Moses who who brought who wrote the first five books of the Tanakh called the Tanakh the first five books of the Bible the uh, Exodus Genesis Leviticus Numbers Deuteronomy um he he wrote the first five books and 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 he he was re replaying history of 
But, you know, it's really, some people interpret it as really an Egyptian or an African religion. Because if you know, if you know anything about African spirituality, you'll see that they use altars and they do everything in the similar manner that the Bible does. And you know that Egypt is in Africa. And Moses was in Egypt for a long time um, until he decided, because his people were being enslaved, and then he decided, let my people go, and then they would form that particular religion, and certain things were were taken. But, you know, let me, let me just... Um, but the thing so is, Jasmine, Moses, so Moses it's, a, wrote the it's, book. A, it's a belief. It's a belief. Some of it is history. Some of it is history. Some of it is literal history. There are some things that have been proven to be history, but when we talk about what is going to happen in the end times, this is a belief. We really don't know. And that's what I'm saying. How is it that a belief has been granted the stamp of approval when it comes to property in the world? Because some of the history has been borne out in the physical, like there was a fall of Rome, there was a fall of the different empires, and that was also in there. Listen, there are people with spiritual spiritual powers, and spirit, you might not believe it, but there, but these things, it was say, also. I didn't say that's that's not, but Jasmine, that's not that's not the point. The point mm-hmm. is, it's a belief. And what you believe may be different from what someone else believes. But where, how did we get to the point? where religion became the law of the land for a select group of people. That's the problem. Even in oh. this country, even in this country, we are not like the U- the United States of America is not a Christian state. Okay. We have separation of church and state in this country for a reason. Okay. So for some people, it's a belief. Other, for other people, it's a way of life. Meaning that the, if you go into a Jewish um, home, a religious Jewish home, they base everything around um, doing. It's like doing a part of a covenant. It's they they do the feasts, the different feasts. In fact, when you you say that, um, right, they're I, still I waiting on the I Messiah. Have, I, have, I have friends that are Jewish, but what I'm saying is, is again, mm-hmm. can all you're saying it's all things, can all of these things in the text be proven as fact? No, they can't. So it is a belief. People have a belief based on what they read from this text. And this is not me like trying to hate on anyone's religion. So I, I I don't want anyone to take it that way. Like I said, I grew up in the church, but you should not ever, you should never get to the point where you take a, a selected religion and you say, this is going to be the law of the land. Well, what I don't like in terms of what's going on right now in Israel is it is an ethno state, an apartheid ethno state. Because prior to people, prior to 1948, or maybe in 1947, yes, it happened as well. But prior to then, people were living side by side, Christians, Muslims, Jews. Um, and then all of a sudden now we're hearing, oh, it's, it's people don't want Jewish people to be there. But that's not true because Jewish people who were already there are saying that they've lived in peace and they've run in, um, in parliament and they've had political seats. Um, in, in, in just like Christians also had political seats in, in Gaza and different parts of Palestine. Prior to um, these 
pretty much atheists. The truth of the matter is um, this, Israel was formed by a bunch of atheists. They're not really religious. In fact, the, religi the really religious ones were against that movement because they don't, some of them have um, already experienced ethno states and some of them will tell you that there's no part in their Bible, in their Talmud or their Tanakh, um, where there, there's anything that says we should have this homeland. So it's really a Zion. It shouldn't. You shouldn't. It sh really shouldn't be blamed on uh, um, religion. It really isn't a religious because Israel. I heard Israel isn't religious at all. In fact, you've but seen that, how they treat the religious Jews right, there. They would slap them down the and that sort of thing. But that's the excuse that they're able to use. Yeah, they're able to use it because they they use a lot of lies. They they're able to use it because they've used a lot of lies. I did that. But the thing is, we all know the history. I've covered the history multiple times on my show. Britain was the country that decided that it would be Palestine. Then you have the father of Zionism, Theodore Herzl, who was not religious. But the thing exactly. is, is that. They're able to use and the Rothschilds are neither not religious either. And and they were part to, they're able to use the excuse that they're supposed to have the Holy Land because of biblical texts. And the point that I make is this. When did it get to the point? How was it allowed to be to the point where you can use religion and use that as law? that you're supposed to have a designated property. No other group in this country gets to do that. That's what I'm saying, not by law. Go ahead, Noel. Good morning, guys. I have to leave, but I've really enjoyed the discourse as usual and see you all next go round. Thanks so much, so much, Noel. It is my time to part. Thanks for hanging in there, guys. Um, I'll be live on Tuesday. I will not be live this Sunday. So see you guys then. Good night. Good night. Buddy. Uh, it's been. Shut up.